I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Basket of Phelps, 92.3 The Fan. Dan Menigan is in. We are going to get to uh, the Cavaliers here in a little bit. I do want to talk about the Browns. Uh, Andrew Siciliano is going to join us. The NFL Combine is going on today as well. Uh, defensive linemen, linebackers working out. And the report card came out from the NFLPA. Um, a little surprised, I think, based on some of the grades that the Browns got. If you don't know him, we're going to tell you about him in a second. I do want to take a quick phone call. Alec is in Cleveland. Hi, Alec. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? How are you? Doing well. Doing very well. Very well. Look here. Question. Sure. Do you, do you believe the Haslam's purchased that property in Brook Park? to move their training facility from Berea? Wouldn't it be more feasible for them to do that? Look how much how much property would they have to purchase? How much surrounding property would they have to purchase around the Berea site for them to get the, the training facility where they want it? Uh, well, I, mean, I don't know. And when's the last time you were out there? Uh, it's been a while. So I don't know if you know this, but like across the street, there used to be a lot of houses over there. Right. They're right. gone, man. So All they 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 have the room to expand now. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen to that street uh, that was in between where the Browns facility is and where the houses are. And then they pushed that. I mean, they're basically all the way to the other side, to the almost back to the depot on the other side. They have a ton of land over there now that they didn't have before. So clearly, I mean, it does seem like it's within grasp that they could expand their Berea uh, operation. And they've done so much inside that building oh, in the okay. last 10 years. They have put millions into the building. Just refurber, you know, just like redoing it and trying to uh, make it better and, and try to upgrade the facilities, not only from the business side, but from the football ops side. And at one point, they had the business side at the stadium and the right. football side in Berea, which I, I can understand that too. But now the business side uh, is in Berea too. So there's a lot of stuff going on out there. But I do believe that they, you know, as far as expanding Berea, I can't, I can't see them leaving Berea at all to try to go over to Brook Park. That that doesn't make a lot of sense. They've been in Berea since day one. I mean, that's 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 theirs, you know. Sure. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. I can't see that happening. I just I don't. And the facility is. I mean, it. I think it's nice. I think it's really nice out there, especially since they redid. Uh, excuse me, since they redid a lot of the 
uh, amenities inside there. But for the football players, it sounds like they want a little bit more. Thank you, Alex. And why do I say this? Well, I say it based on the Browns report card from the NFLPA. Before we get into the grades, what were you? What do you expect here, Dan, as we go through some of these letter grades? Well, the stuff that's on there really covers the gamut of the entire experience. Well, maybe not the entire experience of playing with the Browns and all that stuff, but it goes through a lot of stuff that I don't know how many fans are truly paying attention to that are a part of what these teams look at. Like the big thing that came out of all of these report cards for all 32 teams. And again, this is courtesy of the NFL players association. So JC Treader, that whole group. And then they take all the data that everybody puts together and they release these out there for free agents, for rookies for everybody there to look at all of these different facilities and use it, possibly use it as a determining factor, possibly use it to, for lack of better terminology, shame slash guilt some of these places to make their facilities a little bit nicer and to make those investments into the players themselves. As I go through the grades and I'm just looking at all these things, you know, what stands out are teams that get A's and teams that get F's, right? Of course, that's how and, I like. And you want to go look at the Browns' grades, but it is hard to ignore what the Bengals got. Oh man, their players are not happy. Treatment of families, F minus. Well, so if you look at all the teams for treatment of families, like I think the highest grade handed out was like a B plus. No, no, no. <laughs> Cowboys got an A minus. Cowboys got an A minus. Yeah. Okay. Because they have of- the facilities to do it. That's the thing. They have the room to do it. Um, Vikings got an A. A lot of teams. Niners got an A. A lot of teams got F minuses. Uh-huh. A lot of teams were for treatment of families. A lot of people are not happy with how the families are being treated for these teams. Let me just say this. If the Bengals were an elementary school kid that were scared to use the uh, the old way of going A, B, C, D, and pluses and minuses, um, the Bengals would have a lot of emerging to do as far as their grades are concerned. Because I'm looking like right out of the gate, the Bengals are – Sporting three F-minuses. Their players don't like the treatment of their families during game day, especially. Food and cafeteria and nutritionists and dietitians. Their locker room, however, though, did get a D-plus. So they got that going for them, which is nice. All right, let's go into the Browns here. But it's, it's, just, it's kind of fun to pick on the Bengals. Well, Steelers got an F, too. Hang on. Hang on. Right. Like, There's Steelers stuff in there. They're Steelers got a couple Fs. Including ownership, I believe, is an F for them. Uh, I saw locker room. I, I So the... Help me out with ownership and coaching because I don't see it on my grid here, and it's kind of bumming me out because I saw I saw the numbers yesterday. All right, not to totally go behind the scenes. If you sure. if you actually click on the Steelers, you could scroll down there, and it's all right there in front of them. So the ownership gotcha. okay. ended up getting an F. The head coach got an A. Wow, how about that? Yep, treatment of families F minus. <laughs> They're another one of those that fall under that that realm. Nutrition, diet, locker room. Again, those facilities though that are in Pittsburgh are a little on the older side and they share them. You know, they, they share them with university of Pittsburgh on top of that. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic. When ah, it comes it's weird. To- I kind of want to defend the Browns on some of the stuff that I've seen. Well, um, of course you do. It's a team you root for. No, but I mean, just things that, you, that I noticed because I've been to other stadiums before and I kind of understand why they are where they are. Let's go through the, let's go through a couple of these and then I want to go to the big one. So treatment of families is a D minus. And I, I'm just, it said the biggest problem was they're one of 12 teams that don't provide players' families with a family room at the stadium. The stadium doesn't have the room to do it. Yes. They're just, it's not there. Now, they did build in some clubs 
that weren't there before, and those are revenue builders for the team. So let's be honest. So I don't know where – I mean, like I see the production crew that works on those games, and they're in super tight quarters making sure that they have all the stuff that they have to be able to do their in-game stuff. And by the way, those guys work their you-know-what's off, man. I see those guys sweating like crazy, uh, just making sure that everything is set on on there. And I've been a part of some of those productions when you uh, have to go out in the middle of the field and do some announcing. Oh, uh, hang to, on. Ah, there it is. Those guys are phenomenal, and they work their you-know-what off. Um, but, the, you know, the Browns are one of 12 teams that don't provide their players' families with a family room at the stadium. But they do, and it says this even here, post-game family meetup area is a tent in the parking lot, uh, which is rough in winter weather. The tent is not actually in the parking lot. It's on the other side uh, of the street. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, I don't think it's – I know where the tent is. I've seen the tent a thousand times. It is not in the parking lot. This makes it sound like they're like, oh, go tailgate out there in the middle of the lake. That's what we're going to do with your family. That's not what they do. It, it's still a tent. I, I don't think the location of the tent is the problem. I think it's the existence of the so tent. So should they bring a modular in? Would that be better? Should they bring some, a modular or should they bring in like production the, trailers? My guess would be something to help block the wind, something to help not have the family standing in the elements until cars can come around or to get back into a car. Maybe have them park under the facility. That The, the thing that comes with this – Remember, I actually think the tent, uh, there's two tents. I, the one tent is a media tent. That's how we get in. That's how we go through security. The thing to remember when it comes to these as well is that you have a lot of veterans on this Browns team who have seen a lot of different ways to do things. Right. And so that makes sense. you have some people who are coming from newer facilities where they have newer amenities and they have been able to look into these things and make the adjustments to these things where the Brown Stadium was built in 99. The facility in Berea has been perpetually renovated, but it has been there for a very long time. They don't have the amount of space. They're getting more space to getting this stuff. They've been buying up land all over the place uh, to expand this facility for a good period of time. So this, when I look at this D-minus with the post-game family meetup as a tent in the parking lot, which the weather's are I, I got to yeah. be honest. There's another thing on here that, like, you'll get no sympathy from the fans on. Yeah. I, it said, do I they provide that. daycare at the stadium for home games? What? No, they do. Yeah, they do. Yes. They do provide daycare at the stadium. Should they? Yeah. Come on. If you have a kid right now, do you, who pays your daycare? Who paid my daycare? When our kids were going, to, when Andy. my wife and I were both working. Andy? Yeah. I got. I have no sympathy for the players. You know what? Don't want to need daycare? Don't have kids. Sorry. Not trying to be a jerk. But I have no sympathy for the players on that one. I love the players. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Totally understand it. And maybe it might be a little bit awkward if you're from another city and you're trying to, you know what? Maybe we try to find someone to babysit the kids on game day then. But uh, the fact that the team provides daycare at the stadium awesome. for home games is, I mean, is above and beyond. So I don't know yeah, how you get giving, a D minus on that. They're getting credit for it. They're getting credit for it on here for providing daycare. As in, like, well done, nice job. Like, that's how that's worded. I, at least I'm, that's I'm how telling I you, anybody who's got a kid out here is like, wait, the team provides daycare on game days? Yes. Wow. And that's awesome. And sadly, now, is that a part of the collective bargaining agreement? Might be. I don't know. But sadly, the vast majority of us who are listening to this right now aren't getting paid 10 to $20 billion to Even go up and play Even more reason. Football. Pay for your own daycare. <laughs> like, these are investments that you're making. Look, the, the big issue is. By the way, the Guardians have, they traditionally, and I've been in there in a while since the renovations, but uh, the Guardians did a fantastic job of, of daycare for uh, their players' kids during games. So, so that allows the spouse 
to be able to go watch the game, and, and the kids have like a playroom that they can go hang out in. And so that's actually pretty cool. Well, so here's so a I'm going to give the Guardians credit on that too. So here's a part of this that seems like it's actually ticking people off, and for good reason. Early in the season, the team was not allowing players who had been carted off the field with a significant injury to contact their wives or loved ones from the locker room to let them know how they were doing. All right, that's garbage. That's I'm, on garbage. The, I'm team player on this one. That's garbage. That, that's inexcusable. And I know the last, you know, we, we don't want leaks. We don't want injury leaks. We don't want any of that kind of stuff. Like, I'm sorry, if your employer said to you after you got into a car accident or after you tripped and fell or something like that that you couldn't contact your loved one to let them know you're okay after said thing happened, like, you'd have a problem with it. We would all have a problem with it if our employer said that. So that's that's horse hockey, frankly. Yeah, that's garbage. That is complete garbage. There's got to be a protocol that can clear that up and make it easy so that when a player does get injured, especially if they're significantly injured, that there should be a point person probably on the medical staff that reaches out to the, the – the player should have to designate someone, uh, whether it's, you know, wife or parent. Well, they're petrified of leaks. They're petrified that – Forget one, about the leaks. We're talking exactly. about – We're talking about injured players. This is – 100% yes. what, what, oh, oh, so-and-so is not going to be back for the second half? No, and then and by the way, what's the leak? Okay or not okay? So maybe that, you know, the players are given permission to say, you know, the little happy scale every time you sit in the doctor's office where they zero to ten <laughs> – so that they have to send the zero to ten emoji to the family members to know how they're doing. I, I don't. That that's got to be better. That's bad communication. That's bad communication that's across the board. It's, if you have a significant other that got you know that needs to know uh, where you are, you know, and then have them sign a release in the beginning of the year. Yes, you are the emergency contact upon injury, and you promise you're not going to say anything to anybody else. Whatever, right? So that way they're covered. I guess I don't know. We live in this legal world. We got to worry about if if. if if I know, you know, my brother got hurt out on the field, I would want to know immediately. If my kid got hurt out on the field, I would want. I, when it happens, I walk right down to the trainer to find out what's going on. I, I don't care about the game at that point. No parent cares about the game. They just want to look at the trainer and they want the trainer to give them a thumbs up or a, hey, you need to come in here. We got to go figure some stuff out. We're going somewhere. That's it. It's not really that hard, and that's a situation that can be remedied quickly. And we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. I'm pumped. Let's get to the rest of this after we talk to Andrew Siciliano. How'd the coach do? How'd he do? Mm. We're going to tell you in a little bit. That's what we're going to do. Um, I'm also looking at some of these other ones, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this stuff is fascinating. And actually, I give the NFLPA credit for releasing it right now. Because what you have done is you have everybody together searching for news in Indianapolis and talking to these coaches who are all trained to say absolutely nothing. And they are doing a darn good job of these coaches and GMs and coming out and saying nothing. And what has happened is that the NFLPA has stepped up on one of the biggest NFL scenes and has grabbed the news cycle where everybody is writing about this. Kevin Stefanski asked about this yesterday. People saying, hey, uh, FYI, we have your grade in front of you from your players and, and what's being said there and had to answer for it. They are grabbing grades from all of these different things. So it is absolutely fascinating to see this and well done by the NFLPA to release this now instead of holding it until it's a, good point. It's a, a really day good in point. January or a day in June or something like that. All right, we'll talk to Andrew Siciliano next from the NFL Network. He is at the Combine. Baskin and Phelps, 92.3 The Fan.
NFL Network is at the Combine today at 3 o'clock, defensive linemen and linebackers. Tomorrow at 3 o'clock, defensive backs and tight ends. On Saturday at 1 o'clock, they'll have the star-studded quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs all working out. And then on Sunday at 1, it is offensive linemen. All of that you can catch on NFL Network, and I'm sure you will see our good friend, Andrew Siciliano, who is on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Andrew, how are you? Good morning, guys. Sorry if you had tried earlier. I was just wrapping something up. I'm like, why is my phone vibrating so much? It's you guys. Hi. Well, we're well, happy yeah. to do fine, my, dude. My, my, no, my, I, 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 I lost track of time. It's okay. So we do all the time, making too. you wait. Yeah. I don't even know. Is it happy hour yet? Is it? No, no it, it is. It is going to be happy hour because I'm heading home in like an hour or two. That, that's why it's happy hour. Wait, you're going back to L.A. already? Yeah. So, I mean, normally my job is, well, it depends. Like sure. some, some years I've done like the pregame on the first night. This year uh, I'm not. So I, I'm I'm done and. I'll be at home watching uh, everyone run and jump and throw and everything from home. It'll be glorious. Andrew, you yeah. know, you, you've done Senior Bowl. You've done something like, so what do you think the scouts get more out of, watching a guy for a week at Senior Bowl or watching these guys at the combine? Um, the Senior Bowl, but that doesn't mean this isn't uh, a significant step in the process. The Senior Bowl is, um, you know, actually guys on the field, best of the best. Um, like I'll give you a perfect example, Quinion Mitchell, the corner from Toledo who uh, may very well be the first corner taken. He's definitely going night number one. He's a guy who could have left Toledo on an NIL deal but stuck around um, and, and played his four years there in the MAC. You get to see him going one-on-one with, like, Roman Wilson from Michigan, from Big Ten guys, from SEC guys. Um, and you, you get that in practice, rep after rep after rep during the week in Mobile, and that is invaluable. Now, you still want the medicals, and you still want the 40 times, and you still like to see guys side-by-side side here. It is a significant step, but the, the Senior Bowl is is big. Andrew Siciliano joining us. Of course, NFL Network, you can catch them all over the place. So, Andrew, we've, we've been able to hear from a couple of head coaches and, of course, general managers as well. Andrew Barry speaking two days ago, Kevin Stefanski yesterday. On, on the Andrew Barry front, they're heading back to the Greenbrier. It seems like they all kept coming back to the Greenbrier this year for – a really important touchstone moment of the season. How important is it that they're going back to the Greenbrier, and what do you think of that? I mean, I, just going on what they both said, I, I was was here for, for both of their pressers. I mean, they, they truly believe they got a lot out of it. Um, I think Stefanski kind of said, like, listen, guys, we, we didn't have a winning season because we went to the Greenbrier. But at the same time, we, we thought we got a lot out of it. We, we thought the team came together. You know, he joked there's horrible cell phone reception there. You know, you, you're forced to – to actually get to know your teammates and, and, and the people in your locker room and, and that it was a rewarding experience. It's not as if he, he flew out of there that night when they left the Greenbrier and said, we have to do this again. But I think when looking back, they realized it had a lot of value and uh, they're going back. All right, let me ask you this, because I, I, I thought this was interesting. We were talking about this earlier in the week that – and you brought it up with NIL, you know, the opportunity to leave. First of all, if you've got a player that's that wants to stay at Toledo that long mm-hmm. and not take the NIL money, right? what does that tell the NFL teams that he potentially could be playing for? Well, I mean, he's he's a rarity. There aren't a lot of those guys. Right. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I, I don't think anyone's going to look at, at that negatively at all. Um, it, it used to be 
that if a player was a, a transfer guy, right? I, I'm going back 10 years, but 10 years ago, well, he started here, but he went there. Like the scout's job, and I guess the media's job as well, was always to find out, well, what happened at the first school? Did something go wrong? Like, was there a disciplinary thing we don't know about? Was there something off the field that didn't get reported? You know, what, what's going on How here? many guys went to his birthday party? Right, oh, wait, exactly. That was a movie Did Bo Callahan, yes. Bo Callahan really, really get along with his teammates? He never it, found now, the five guys, bucks we, in the back of the playbook. Yeah, guys, we, we have players that played at five schools. Now, that's a red flag to me, but no one, like everyone, heck, some guys transfer twice in a year. Like, why do you think these college coaches are going to the NFL? Because they have to recruit these kids, get them NIL money, and then after the spring game, they're going to leave again, and you've got to recruit them again. I mean, it, it's college football is insane right now. And, no, I don't blame anyone for transferring and getting in the portal to see if someone else is going to pay you more. Like, I, I know the fans hate it, and it's like, I get it. Like, it's, it's, it's a different world to deal with. But just so you know, the coaches hate it in college football as well right now. And uh, it is no longer a red flag if you transfer it once or twice. All right, so let me bring this point up. Then within the draft itself, because NIL might keep some of these second, third, maybe fourth rounders yeah. in college, what is that doing to the player, to the talent pool that's now in the draft? And does that lower the – I don't want to say it lowers the talent, but it kind of does – for a sixth yes, or seventh rounder. Yeah. It, it's 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 a great question and you'll definitely feel the effects of it this year. This is a top heavy drop. This is a really good first round. Like really, 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 really good. And I'd even say the first three rounds, really good. Um, it will drop off on day three significantly. I, I think you will see a lot of teams trading out of day three for picks next year. Like and I'm not talking Andrew Barry, but like it, it just in general, like if your favorite team, I know we're talking the Browns here you know, trades out of the sixth round um, for a sixth round next year or two fives next year, like, don't be surprised. It's just, it's it's one of those years because a lot of the players, a lot of the juniors stayed in because they could get paid. If I'm going to be a fourth round pick, let's say this year, in years past, these fourth round picks would come here and say, hey, I came out a year early, but I, you know, time to be an adult, provide for my family. Now the fourth round pick, is going to stay, make six figures, if not more, in college football, and then hope that next year, with a little extra money in his pocket, he's better than a fourth-round pick. That's the world we're living in. So the other one we're living in is, of course, the extra COVID year that's taking place on all these guys. and that's another issue. Right. So, like, what's the thought when it comes to, like, Bo Nix this year or maybe, like, a Jaden Daniels? Because I know Jaden Daniels is 23, and a lot of people are wondering if he's – you know, with being as old as he is, maybe he's topped out a smidge. Well, I mean, Michael Penix and Bo Nix are older. Um, and Sam Hartman, who, who's not one of the top five guys, Sam Hartman, you know, was nicknamed Grandpa at Notre Dame. There were um, – he was older than one or two of the assistant coaches at Notre Dame last year. So, I, I think with quarterbacks it's different. And, and I think – I'm not sure of this, but – I. I I get the sense that the – like, remember when Baker got drafted, he was older. That was a big red flag for a lot of people. Whedon was I the think, one that I could think of. Yeah, well, yeah. Brandon Whedon was my father's age when he got drafted. But um, Brandon Whedon was in the Kevin Brown Dodgers-Yankees trade, guys. I mean, that's how old Brandon Whedon was wow. when Browns drafted him. Think about that. 
And that was 10 years earlier, I think, at that point. Anyway, I digress. Underrated, um, outstanding pitcher. Yes, um, and, and not a nice man. But the uh, Kevin Brown, that is, not Brandon Weed. Um, the, the, I think teams have backed off on the we needed 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old quarterback thing, and they're willing to take the older guys. I, I, I think the thing with the quarterbacks is, too, the experience matters. Um, I think experience is viewed a little bit differently, and part of that comes from Brock Purdy. Um, and if you look the last couple of years, guys with a lot of starting experience, it's seemingly have more success when you drop them into the NFL and, and Bo Nix started 61 games. Michael Penix started forever. Um, DTR started 50 plus games. I I know that's one of the reasons the Browns felt comfortable with him as well. So I, I don't think age is frowned upon as much anymore. I think experience is valued. I don't know if we've talked to you since this happened. What did you think of the Browns blowing up the offensive coaching staff and bringing in Tommy Reese and Ken Dorsey and the um, Alex Dickerson and whomever else they, they brought in as well? Or Andy Dickerson. So the, um, it, you know, Kevin dodged that one a lot. Um, Andrew definitely dodged that one. Um, when I say dodged, um, like he didn't want to say anything bad about ABP. He wasn't going to. He's always going to keep it professional. Like he, it was never why we got rid of these guys. It was, you know, just a, hey, we really value the, the new guys that we have. I, my answer would be, um, I think Kevin really wanted a new creative partner to try to take the offense with Deshaun to the next level. Um, I, I sense yesterday, like, a legitimate excitement. I mean, he wasn't, like, bouncing off the walls, but like a comfort and an excitement and really like I'm like can't wait to see what this looks like from Stefanski about getting in the lab in the spring and just like two guys working all night uh, trying new stuff out. Does that make sense? Like like was really excited about the fun that he – not fun, but – well, what he and Ken Dorsey could do together creatively. He was looking forward to that process. So I just think they wanted a new set of eyes on it, um, and and that's what they did. All right, what do you think the Browns' intentions are here over the next couple of days? What do you think they're scoping out? What do you think the the, the grocery list is going to look like when the draft comes around? And we we'll sit here and wait till the second round. It's so hard, but I'm just it's curious so hard you. before free agency. You know, right? You, you you don't know what they're going to do in free agency. They could address wide receiver in free agency, and then that second round pick you know, doesn't have to be a wide out. I don't know that it has to be one regardless. Um, it could be an edge guy. I wouldn't be stunned if it were that. This is just me spitballing here. Uh, I'll say there's there's really good wide receiver depth. You can get a guy in the second round that can probably step in. Um, but with Tillman coming back and, and you, know, you think he has a bright future, you know, how much youth do you need or how much youth do you want at wide receiver? I think they have True. to ask that question as well. I think they, they really do expect more from Elijah Moore next year. I, I think I, you're going to get more. How much more? I don't know, but you're definitely going to get more. Um, I I don't know until they get through free agency because if they go sign an edge player and swap out Zedarius, then I think the second round looks a lot different. Andrew Siciliano, NFL Network, joining us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Andrew, what would you do with Nick Chubb? I would rework the contract. Um, 
put in a lot of incentives, you can't pay him 16. And it's just not going to happen. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be ready week one. I mean, that, to me, that's the biggest question. Um, maybe he is, maybe he's not. I hope he is. No one said he isn't, but no one has said he is. So, um, yeah, bring him back. I, I, I think Nick, I, I don't know this for certain, but I, I don't, I think he's going to be a Brown. I think they're going to rework the deal. They have to rework the deal. And, you know, hopefully they can find something that Nick feels fair is fair compensation and that will compensate him fairly if he returns to form. Andrew, we were going through some of these NFLPA grades that the teams gave and they, they released that yesterday. How, yep. how serious do you think the management ownership, they take these grades that they get from the NFLPA and want to actually do something about it? I, I think they take them seriously. Um, you know, the big one with the Browns is obviously the weight room and everyone agrees it, it's got to get better, but everyone agrees they're, they're building a new weight room. So they, they are actually, um, you know, trying to fix that one. I, it, I, I know it wasn't the only gripe that some players had, but, uh, you know, I think that will go a, a long way, clearly. I, think, so, you know, yeah. I was going to say, I was thinking I was kind of surprised by Kevin, but Kevin got a B- minus for a head coach. Yeah. And you know, it's not that it was a B-minus. It was that it was yeah. one of the lower grades compared to the other yeah. coaches. I mean, it still was a B. Right. It, it, yeah, I, I was the the basically. Do you think our time is spent efficiently? That was interesting. Um, he definitely works them, right? I mean, there there is. I mean, the motto is the work, right? It's all about the work, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. It, it was interesting. I and he was asked about that, and uh, I give Tony Grossi credit. Tony asked him. I think Tony Tony wrote this. Asked him point blank, would you? Rather have an A from in, on that report card and not win Coach of the Year. Or, or I can't remember how he phrased it. Which would you rather have, an A or the Coach of the Year trophy? And Stefanski looked at him, just no comment, Tony. Like it was one of those, like, come on, Tony. Like that was a good question, but I'm not, I'm not stepping on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Andrew Poopa texted me wanting me to ask you, what did you watch on TBA on Saturday afternoon? Still there? Hold Andrew. on. It went to blue it went to Bluetooth for oh, some that's reason. Okay. Oh. Say that again. Poopa texted you and said what? What to ask you, what did you watch on Saturday afternoon on TV? Oh, the the Sons of Geronimo. Come on. <laughs> have you ordered your Chase Delauer shirt yet? That's the question I have. No, I, I have not, but that ball has not come down either. No, um, of I, course I watched on, on Saturday. It's the first game, and it's Cookie's return. How am I going to watch that? I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched the first two innings and then went on a run and listened to Hammy on my run. But it was it's good to have him back, guys. I mean, I, I, I'm not hanging on every pitch in spring training, but come on. It is good to have him back. Can't we all agree on that? Oh, I've had it on in the background. Just anybody play baseball all day since it's, still, yeah. it's been the best. Like. Come on. You want to see if Davis and De Los Santos can make contact. Come on. It's the best. I'm so happy. I don't know I'm... what he's done the last two days. Does anyone have any of the kids at a home run the last two days other than DeLauder? Uh, no, DeLauder is the big last one. one and yeah. that I'm, I'm 99% sure that new module that landed on the moon might have that ball. Yeah, and I mean, that, that swing is ugly as all heck, but I, I don't care. It's you the know? results that matter, baby. Exactly. It's all that matters. Exactly.
Andrew, have a safe flight back to L.A. Uh, hopefully we will talk to you soon. And, of course, we're watching NFL Network for all of this coverage coming up over the next couple of days for the combine as well. Thank I, you, Andrew. I love you guys. I, I thought you would ask me about Karen Check's sore shoulder. So I'm glad we didn't have to go there. Or, Ste- or Stefan's uh, elbow at this point, too, which I don't want to talk oh, about. Oh, does he have an elbow, too? Yeah, Stefan's He's got two of them, doesn't he? Does, he does. Th- hold on. Like, that was the storyline. Jackson, me. Like, the second half of the season last year, like, like for Pete's sake, he, he couldn't get out of any high leverage situation after the All Star break, and he Tito kept running him out there, and like, I, I'm not questioning Tito, but now I am. Like, why did they just keep running him out there? I know they had no other options, but it was like this can't go well because it never would. Andrew. Like, I know how this movie is going to end every single night. Yep, Stefan, deep bone bruise in the right elbow, oh. three weeks out. No oh boy. Okay. Andrew, thank you. Awesome. As always, we love talking to you. Take care, to drive. Well, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Watch it, NFL Network. See you later. Peace. Andrew Siciliano on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's talk a little bit about what he had to say. Get back into the combine uh, right after this. Andrew Siciliano from NFL Network just joined us. Coming up at noon from the Associated Press, it is not news until Tom Withers says so, and he will join us at high noon. So interesting conversation with Andrew Siciliano, especially when it comes to the draft and you know, looking at the perspective of how this draft is going to be uh, influenced by the fact of NIL money, uh, you know, COVID players that got extra years, uh, and all of those things that are kind of sitting in there. Uh, that will make this a very, very interesting draft. As he said, you know, the first three rounds will probably be really, really good, and then after that, things could drop off dramatically as far as getting impact players, although that, I mean, part of that is natural. You're not expecting a fourth, fifth, sixth round, or seventh round player to have the same kind of impact you would a first or second round player, but still, you can find a diamond in the rough, and we've seen that before, so... Uh, But it does sound like there's a significant drop-off because you've got players that want to stay in college because they're making more money in college than they would in the pros. Well, what, Caleb Williams yesterday to Kalen Kaler. And, I mean, we all knew that he was doing well. And it it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before, I should say. 
came out saying he made $10 million playing college football for USC. I mean, if you make $10 million in NIL playing college football, now again, that's the number one overall pick. That was the big name in college football this year, and it's USC on top of that. But, like, if that number is on the table, it definitely changes the way that some of these people think. And it definitely changes the way that guys who are mocked in the third round, fourth round, who have an extra year of eligibility, can look at this and go, well, maybe I could stay a year. I can make similar money to what I'm going to get in the NFL. And I can maybe work my stock up a little bit, too, to where then I can get more money when my eligibility is gone. It, Not to mention, it lets them get a little bit more polished before they make it to the NFL. It's why I screamed the mountaintops that NIL is a win-win-win. This is all a win for the NFL. It's a win for college football, and it's a win the whole way through. And we're sitting here still screaming about it to this day, and I, I don't totally get it. Besides coaches sitting there going, well, you know, it's really hard for me to be able to build my program when I can bring these 18-year-olds in, and then I don't play them for a year. And then they get grumpy because, oh, my gosh, I didn't get played. And it's like, yeah, football players want to play. That's how this works. So if you just want to put it in perspective, uh, the you know, the rookies are slotted. So the number one pick overall is what forty one point two million, according to Spot Tracker, Spot Tracker, whatever you want to call it. Um, forty one point two million is number one, and then there's the drop off. There is two million thirty nine point four million for the number two pick. But even if you're the thirty first pick uh, in the NFL draft, you're making twelve point five or twelve point seven five million. Is that so over the length to, of the contract? I think that's over the length of the contract. That's the rookie deal, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Honestly, I didn't think that was yearly because that's more than Sam Bradford even got, and that contract was ridiculous. No, so according to the story, I was just, just making sure I got this. Projected contract for number one last year in the 23 pick was estimated at $41.217 million in total value, signing bonus, okay. and approximately $26.9 million, and uh, 2023 salary hit of seven point four. Right. So That makes more sense. Bryce Young was looking at those numbers. So if you're a college kid, and you're looking at those numbers, and I mean, bottom of the first round is making that. Like, if you are at Michigan, and it's looking like you are going to be a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, like, you could see where last year that collective coming together and going, yeah, let's pay these guys to pay them to stay. It makes total sense then. And you'd see why these guys are going to stay. And, I again, I think this is beneficial. I think we are going to, knock on wood, get cleaner play in the NFL because these times are these guys are going to have more time in college. And I think college is going to get better because we have older guys playing it, which means it'll be a little bit more polished. It's just a win. But yet, we're still yelling and screaming. And we still have college coaches going, oh, my God, the transfer portal. Oh, NIL. Oh, the horror, the humanity. Well, I mean, really, what are we saying here? Second, mid-round, second-rounder for $10 million? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, why wouldn't you stay in college? Yeah. And your odd, I, I don't know, were your odds slimmer of getting hurt in college? No. Because the players the aren't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, yeah, they're bigger, faster, and stronger. Well, heck, what we're looking at at these, uh, <laughs> at these grades, the facilities are nicer where these college kids are coming from, too. Well, that's true. I mean, that's, and, and that's going to be the case. And these facilities are going to be nicer in college than they are in the NFL because we've had years of people going, yes, here's my financial donation. We can't pay the players and we have to recruit them. So how do we do that? Hey, everybody, we have a fountain in our locker room. We're Clemson. Come on down. You like miniature golf? We have that in our locker room, too. Hey, are you an LSU Tiger? Well, guess what? Your locker's going to have a 20-inch TV in the middle of it. Like, 
these are what these guys are coming from because they could never invest it into the players, so they just always invested it in the facilities. Sure. That's why these college facilities are out of control. All right, I'm going to break. Speaking of breaking down, so we were going through the NFLPA report card, okay? And the, the one thing that I thought was super interesting was Kevin Stefanski's grade of a B-. minus. So, I mean, on the surface, B- minus is good, right? It's good. I It's how I got through grade school, college, high school, middle school, life. <laughs> B minus, man. That's right in the meaty part of the curve. That's what we're aiming for. So where does that rank in among all NFL teams? 28th. 28th. According to the NFL PA story, only 70% of players feel that Kevin Stefanski is efficient with their time. That was 29th overall. Players feel that Kevin Stefanski is somewhat willing to listen to the locker room. 23rd overall. I'm a little shocked at this. Is it, does this make you think that there's a – there are two ways to look at it. There's a, discontent, a disconnect between the players and Kevin Stefanski. You can look at it that way. Or the disconnect between Kevin Stefanski and the players is greater for the Browns than it is for 27 teams above them in the NFL. Does that make sense, the way I put that? A little bit, but I'll – can I clean it up slightly more? Yeah, go ahead. Is Kevin Stefanski a player's coach? Doesn't feel that way after reading no. this. I thought he was. I kind of thought I he was. never thought he was. I never thought to my – you know, at least from things that you hear and from the way that, you know, you'll hear players speak about it, and it's not like they're insulting Kevin Stefanski. It's not like they're infuriated with he, them. Every time has the players back in a press conference. He always has the I, players I don't back. know that I've ever heard him throw a player under the bus. 100% yes. I think if he did. And he's got expectations, and he's got goals, and he's got philosophies. And those philosophies aren't, you know, they involve a boatload of work for guys. And my guess is the expectations are high. So I don't know if I look at this, if I'm Kevin Stefanski, and I look at this and I go, oh, my gosh, this is an insult. I'm not doing something right. I wonder if I'm looking at this and going, okay, they gave me a B-. minus. I do have high expectations. We went 11-5 and five last year. We've we're the trajectory is does seem to be. But are do you up. look at it as I'm doing a good job or I'm one of the worst coaches in the NFL because I'm 28th? I look at it as I'm doing a good job. I mean, if you look at these, Andy, and let me pull up all the grades in front of me because you know if I was better at my job, I would have done this earlier. But like if if you pull all of it together and put all of these teams in a line and see who fits where, okay. The Detroit Lions A-plus with Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell was the player's coach of player's coaches because he was a player. Andy Reid, A-plus, Kansas City Chiefs. Makes total sense. He's always been known that way. His players have always loved Andy Reid. Andy Reid didn't make a big deal about Travis Kelsey screaming at him at the Super Bowl. Has an expectation for his players, but is an unbelievable player's coach. Minnesota Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, A-plus, former quarterback in the league. Player's coach. Buffalo Bills, Sean McDermott, A. Interesting that that came out after some of the pieces that came out last year of years previous with Sean McDermott. I would have thought that Kevin Stefanski would have had a higher grade than him. I would have thought so too. Especially, again, you can go read Tyler Dunn's awesome piece on inside of the uh, the Bills locker room if you want to go more into that. This isn't really the place to do it. But you see a lot of these guys, RAs, some of them had really good success during the regular season. Some of them exceeded expectations. And others kind of flopped but still were in decent shape. I mean, um, Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles, he got an A from his players. Now, the fan base all wanted to can him. Same thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin. He got an A. Well, 
The fan base all wanted to can him. They called him underachievers. Seattle Seahawks, an A under Pete Carroll, he got fired. Or reassigned. Sorry, let me do that. So as much as we want to sit here and we want to point to these different things and go, well, should the, you know, should Kevin Stefanski be concerned? Sean Payton got an A minus. They benched their quarterback with two, two to three games left in the season because they didn't want to pay him. So like yeah, we can sit here and point to this and go, oh, yeah, these numbers should be higher. These should be better. The New York Giants got an A-. minus. No offense to Puba, They didn't exactly exceed expectations this year. No, but if the players are happy, it doesn't really matter what they do, right? According to this survey, right. and this the fans is the Players don't care. Association survey. What do the fans care about? Wins, losses. Where do you yell at the head coach for when he loses? You rarely yell at the head coach when he wins. It's true. Want to talk ownership? Just throw that in. Okay. So, Kevin got a B minus, which was twenty eighth. Um, I, I don't know—is this the Haslam group or is it just Jimmy Haslam? I think most people think Jimmy and D. There's always one person who is the forefront, quote unquote, owner. So it's Jimmy and D, though. Yes. Together, I, it's, I mean, I know they want to—they want to label everything Haslam group between the Bucks and uh, the crew. And, Everybody has a face in the Browns. There's so. always a face of the franchise, and the face of this franchise is Jimmy and D. Haslam. So Jimmy most Haslam Jimmy. got a B. Just straight B. And that made him 17th in the league, which is where I kind of think you want to be if you're an owner. You don't want to be at the top. You don't want to be at the bottom. You want to be in the middle, right? You want to be the guy that can walk in there and shake hands and be like, hey, that's that's Mr. Haslam. Good guy. Hey, P, that's yeah. the guy whose name is on the bottom of my check. So here's the, the clip that's inside of it so that you yeah. can understand what the rating is for. It's club owner Jimmy Haslam. This is according to the NFL Players Association. Go to NFLPA.com if you want to read all these. Club owner Jimmy Haslam receives a rating of 8.6 out of 10 from Browns players when considering his willingness to invest in the facilities. So just in the facilities, this has nothing to do with being an owner or nope. paychecks or negotiations. Nope. or It's all about facilities. At least that's what it says right here. Now, I don't, you know. Or that was their biggest takeaway from the responses they got from the players in their survey. I would guess that, Andy, but I don't know for a fact. That would be my guess. That would be my guess, is that it has to do more with facilities than anybody else because I don't think there are any owners who are out there anymore who are make, you know who are, are laid on checks or who are, you know, negotiations are rarely done with players. It's all agents. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, really. But you never know. I mean, you never know an owner could say something and be like, oh. So, all right, let's talk more about Jimmy. We'll do that. And then I also want to bring up a story that kind of touched our heart yesterday. So, uh, we will bring that up. 216 that is the number to call in or hit us up on social media at CLE Talking Heads. Baskin and Phelps, 92.3 The Fan, 216-474. Double O ninety two. Just want to take a couple seconds here. We want to talk about um, something that happened. Um, I don't know, big picture stuff. Uh, Richard Lewis, who was a friend of the show, and I, I don't say that lightly. Richard was on the show uh, a couple times, especially when Les Levine was still with us. Um, uh, really was awesome for giving us time, and it would be the times he would come on. I think he came on like twice, maybe three times. I'm not sure, but it was when Les and I would host on Fridays during football season and Richard would uh, every once in a while he'd pop on with us and it was, it was great. And, you know, then I had the chance to 
kind of just maintained some correspondence with Richard um, through social media over the last couple of years and knew he was kind of ill. And it really bummed me out was, uh, you know, I was the one that let him know that, that Les had passed. Uh, he, maybe he knew. Somebody else may have told him or not. But I, at least I felt like I was the one that told him that because he had reacted uh, pretty quickly on that. So it just reminds me of, you know, of Les. I, like, I could not stop thinking about Les yesterday. And his relationship with Richard, because I can't tell you how many times I would walk in here and he'd be like, oh, did you see Richard? Did you do this? And then, you know, Les and I always had this bond over Curvy Enthusiasm because, I mean, it's hard to believe the show's been on as long as it has. Um, you know, my, man, it's been uh, almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years since my brother passed away. And that my dad, my brother, and I used to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm the first couple seasons and you know how most people watch a football game. They'll, they, you know, you stick around for the postgame show. Well, I would call my dad and I would call my brother and we would have a three-way conference and we would just laugh for another hour after watching, you know, the newest Curb Your Enthusiasm come out. And in that time, I've lost both my dad and my brother. And I remember when my dad passed away, Les was like, well, call me on Sunday nights now. And, uh, you know, so I did. And I just, you know, it just it makes you realize it's, you know, sometimes we lose some of the funniest ones. But Richard was so kind and so dear uh, to be able to join us based on his friendship with, with Les. Um, but I just want to take a couple seconds to talk about that and, and, and share and reminisce and maybe talk about some of the funny things Richard Lewis did, um, especially with Jeff Thomas, who just walked in the studio. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Andy. How are you? So I'm good. One of the things I'll chime in with, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school on this one. Sure. So for those of you who did not know, um, Richard Lewis went to Ohio State University. Right. He was fraternity brothers with Les Levine. Right. My fraternity, too, by the way. Yours as well. Yeah, that's I don't awesome. Really I know just, that. It was a um, quick little episode of my life. But yeah. The the rule of the two of them always was once a year, Richard would hop on with Les, and that even that goes way back. They always had the deal that it was once a year that they would do it, and it was usually right around the beginning of Ohio State Buckeye season because Richard Lewis was a massive, massive Buckeye fan, and it always made me smile when Les would host that day because I'd think for half a second that maybe just maybe. This is a Richard Lewis day. And Lewis would come on with us, and we would all just die laughing with Richard Lewis and just talk about anything on the face of the earth, and it was just outstanding. And so I, I will miss Richard Lewis, and thank you for all of the laughs as well. Well, the thing about Richard Lewis is a little retrospective here, because sure, not yeah. everybody knows Richard Lewis, which is kind of sad, because incredibly funny, because I remember seeing him the first time back in the 80s. He was like the most neurotic comic you've ever seen do stand-up in your yeah. life. And the thing about it is started uh, doing the circuit in New York in the 1970s, Hit it big in the early 80s when he was getting on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Also did a lot of appearances with Letterman. And that's where you kind of got to see the the shtick that was Richard Lewis. Now, he would deal with things we all had to deal with. But it was harder because it was Richard Lewis. See, we all hate the DMV, but it was harder for Richard Lewis. <laughs> now, the other thing about Richard was very neurotic take. I think he may have been the most neurotic stand-up comic we've ever seen. Uh, but it wasn't his fault, though. This all stemmed from his family. <laughs> oh, that's a great line. What a great line. Yeah. That courtesy of The Tonight Show and NBC. So that's where Richard's claim to fame started doing stand-up. In fact, he was still doing stand-up just up to a couple years ago when he announced he was dealing with Parkinson's. Um, the thing I remember most about Richard Lewis, which is the most personal to me, it was a sitcom a lot of folks may not remember. It was back in the late 80s, early 90s on ABC called Anything But Love, which co-starred yep. someone you may have heard of, Jamie Lee Curtis. And the thing about the show was, 
I don't think Richard was acting a lot because this is actually the first scene they meet each other on an airplane. I think Richard would have done the exact same thing if this was real life. I don't think he was acting. I really, really don't. So the show aired for four seasons. Now, here's the weird thing about the show. ABC never canceled it. The company that produces 20th Century Fox didn't think there'd be a fifth season, so they just pulled the plug. Really? Without even hearing from the network. And they didn't think we'd make any money from syndication. Here's the part that ticks me off is it's not streaming anywhere. It's Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis, yet it's not online anywhere to watch. Just a few tidbits on YouTube. The reason the show meant a lot to me, my wife was dating you know, me at the time, and we had been friends for a long time before we actually started dating. And that was the premise of the show. They started as friends, and then later on in the show, they started dating. Huh. So, they sh- so I pretty much, I was Richard Lewis. So that's how my claim to fame and a connection. I pretty much was Richard Lewis in real life and almost as neurotic as well. Now, the other thing about Richard is, besides the stand-up and doing the, the, the show, was great job in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, as the evil prince. Yes. Who knew how to have a good time no matter what. So that was my introduction to Richard Lewis. That, that's pretty much where it came was, in. Was Robin Hood, Men in Tights. And I remember I was 10 or 11, and my dad was like, sit down, you need to watch this. And I sat there and I laughed so darn hard. The whole, the whole thing of I don't know whose idea it was to keep moving the mole in that movie, but my goodness, was that outstanding? Is your mole somewhere else? Is it? I, I have, have a, a mole? mole. I mean, it's just. I, I actually watched it last night when I saw Richard Lewis passed away, and I was trying to think, like, okay, which curb episode? I was like, forget it, Men in Tights. Let's do it. And I sat there and just giggled last night. That movie has its moments that are just so good. The it, weird thing is that courtesy 20th Century Fox. The weird thing is my wife's not a huge Mel Brooks fan. She loves that movie. She loves men in tights. I don't know really? why. Maybe because it's guys in tights. I don't know. I tried it Maybe. myself. That's he's, a whole different story. And he's a smoothie. He's smooth. All right, so the show we all know him from best, Curb Your Enthusiasm, as he was there from the very beginning back in 2000. And the thing I didn't realize until recently, Larry David and Richard Lewis were born in the same hospital three days apart. In 1947. It's amazing. Richard was born first three days later. Larry was born. They didn't meet up till they were 12 at a summer camp, and they were lifelong friends in real life. So how they acted on screen was not a joke. One of the best things was how they would make fun of each other. You know, Richard had that phase during the show where he tried to be an artist. Hell <laughs> <laughs> of an artist. All right, so the, the thing everyone's talking about now, sadly, with Richard's passing, was the episode that aired last weekend. Uh, the golf tip episode and the fact is that first of all these guys they love joking around with each other so of course you got the golf tip it's all about the tug apparently (laughs) now the scene that's kind of really taken a whole new meaning with richard passing is he and larry talking about trying to get into the will and what they would do with that The thing I could, could you go out on a better note? I know that is just I mean, fantastic. seriously, could you go out on a better note? Now, from what I've read, that was his final scene on the show. Now, we still have six more episodes left in the final season. From what I'm reading, I don't know how true this is. This was this that episode three was the last one Richard's in. Wow. I hope that's not true, but that's kind of what I'm seeing online right now. Uh, but he Richard found a whole new audience, and the best thing about for and I think for all of us like him as much as we did richard did this after he found sobriety he he had he had alcohol problems back in the early 90s uh in fact jamie lee curtis paid tribute to richard last night on on social media by saying that basically he helped her get sober 
back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, she put out a, a whole statement about a that. a wonderful yeah. statement about that. And then, you know, Richard, I said he'd been clean and sober since 97. So he ran the whole gamut through Curb being sober, being happy with his life. You know, he still had to play the neurotic, depressed guy. Yeah, he had a little run-in with Ohio State, too. Um, yeah, I remember that. That was... You know, I, I don't know. I look back at it. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Until I had the chance to actually talk to Richard, I was not. I, I was kind of bummed out about the whole thing because yeah. <clears throat> somebody made a mistake. Do I, do I? I don't know if I really want to explain. No, it. it's, it's part just, of the story. You yeah, I mean, it's just it, you know they put out that media guide every year, and somebody it had famous alumni, and you know one of the kids who had access to I shouldn't say kids students one of the students had access to the pages. Um, that would go in the media guide and, you know, had noted all these famous alumni and, you know, they were joking around and they put the word drunk in after his name, which I thought was, Richard got really mad about it. Richard wasn't happy and then the school made amends with them and then somebody actually ended up losing their job, but then they ended up getting their job back, which makes me very, very happy because um, this was a friend of mine too on top of that. And so I was kind of like, okay, everything's kind of forgotten and everything's good. But, you know, Richard, Richard was a comedian and there was a student that was, trying to be funny, but he didn't really like it, and it kind of bummed him out. But they ended up coming back around, and everything kind of, you know, time heals all wounds and stuff like that. But that was a that was a weird thing, like, when it happened. I was just like, really? Richard's mad about? And then he well, had a whole This, guy, this was a guy it. who was trying to, you know, fight some inner demons and yeah. find a sobriety, and that kind of, you know, I, I could see But that see was also his, off. like, he had a movie called Drunk, too, didn't he? It was a movie, or I, was a, there was a special that he did like that, but that's not. I mean, that's not my point the, today. The and I really hear it. It was called uh, 1995. He did a thing. The called thing I drugs. remember most about was when Richard was here in studio with us, which was one of one of the best days ever in my radio career. And here's the part that upsets me. So Tim Richards, who works for our, yeah. one of our sister stations, Star 102, comes up to me this morning and says, "Oh man, I remember when Richard was here, and he paid you this great compliment." But I can't remember what he said, and I can't remember what the hell he said either. Oh, so no, Richard really? Lewis paid me a compliment. I don't know what he said. I'm losing my mind because I don't know what Richard said. He said he's something good about me, and I don't know what he said. It ticks me off. Maybe you should check the will. Maybe I should. Am I in the will? <laughs> you can bequeath, but I will not take it. I will not be bequeathed. Well, now you got to put Richard in your will. I that's do. That's a whole other problem. All right, go to, get, get to the executor. <laughs> we got to talk. I got to state the plan. But, Richard, he will be sorely missed. you very unique comic. The man dressed in black, and he did it on yeah. purpose. That was his thing for, you know, 50-some-odd years. Uh, great talent, and he will be missed. There was also the clip of him floating around on the Rich Eisen show where he tells an awesome story about having to go to dinner with Larry David and what it was like, and it, it is you will laugh very it's hard. It's probably the show, it. right? It's probably straight from the show. Oh, it became a plot later that. on. Yeah, I just... But it wasn't when Richard told the story. I don't know. I, I got to tell you, Les was so proud to be his friend. Wasn't he? I uh, mean, why, he was so Why proud. would you not be proud? Oh, he was just like, hey, Richard Lewis, Richard Lewis, and like Les and I were the talking about The first time he time. said that to me, I thought he was full of crap. Yeah, I'm friends with, I went to college with Lewis. No, you didn't. I, I'm just trying you to did think. not. And then he showed me the picture from college. Oh, did you? Okay, so I've I have seen it. the picture. Jeremy just gave it to me. His son, Jeremy. Gave oh, me that's awesome. I saw Hello, that. Jeremy. I, Hope you're well. Oh, my God. That was really Richard It's their Lewis. fraternity composite. Yes. And so, I don't know. I, I'm going to ask Jeremy if I can send it back. Les did not. I did not find Les's guy who could have the ability to Photoshop something. So, I, yeah. It was, it was oh, legit. there's no way. No, no, he did not have that skill. Like, do you think Les would have put Lester Levine on no. there? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> Trust me, I've worked enough with technology and Les and have a lot of great stories about it. Les couldn't have photoshopped no, that. Not together. at all. How no, come my parents named me Lester? That's probably what he would That would have been a great book for him. <laughs> ah.
Anyhow, so I just I'm just so blessed to be able to to know both those guys in my lifetime and to have uh to have Les make that connection with Richard and it's for me to cool. have the opportunity to talk to him and then continue to talk to him a few more times after Les had passed yeah. away. So I just he is going to be missed and a part of you know all of our one of our favorite shows of all time. He was so. he was on the show a couple times. I'm digging around and attempting to find those archives of Richard Lewis on the show with us. And if I get them, we will send them out. I would love to play the whole. Interview. I would love to play them too, but I got to find them. Well, good luck to you. Thank you, Jeff Thomas. Thank you very Peace much. Peace out, boys. You're a good man. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Sun shining on downtown Cleveland right now as I look out the window here at Playhouse Square. Baskin and Phelps, Jeff is off today. Dan Menigan is in. What a crazy morning it was, especially if you're trying to get to work. The freeways were backed up, all kinds of issues with snow, and that snow came in really fast this morning. I don't know. We got some wacky weather coming up over the next week or two. What we're supposed to get, You know, this reminds me because I didn't tell the story the other day, and I wanted to tell it really quick. So I'm driving to Cincinnati over the weekend, and I'm on 71. And I stayed in Columbus on Friday night, and then headed down to uh, Cincinnati on on Sunday. And so I'm like, ah, oh, this is, you know, it's an easy drive to get down. It was going to Miami of Ohio, and uh, I'm like, oh, that's not such a bad drive from Columbus. Broke it up. Everything's good. I hit the road about seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday, heading down to Cincinnati. Oh my God, it was bad. And I don't think they use as much salt on the road as they do up here. I but it, it's just a reminder, like when you're out there, especially for the folks that were driving around this morning. Here, it was kind of similar, only it seemed like it was worse because you couldn't see the road at all on 71, like right around uh, Washington Courthouse, Jeffersonville down there. So as as I'm driving, I'm doing like 50, 45 in the slow lane, and I'm not about to get out of the slow lane, right? right. I'm that guy. I'm like, I'm happy. If there's a truck ahead of me, I, I'm okay with it. Right. Like, I, I have I'm no problem my driving. pace. This is what I'm safe doing. This is what I feel comfortable doing in my car. Yes. I don't want to push shoes in front of me, and I really don't feel like getting pushed by somebody from behind me because they feel like they need to do 100 miles an hour when it's clearly the opportunity for black ice is there. So now I'm in the car, and I look, and my daughter's sitting next to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, watch that. See that? And it was an Audi that thought that for some reason that their car was better than everybody else's car, and he was doing like, 75 and I watched him just right off the 71 right into the medium and it was one of those high up in the air on one side kind of a little bit of a mound Hmm. so the car goes skidding off I see it hit two wheels it goes up in the air 
And now all of a sudden I'm watching it, and now it falls back down on the ground. One, two, it lands at like kind of the, the, the crest of the hill. It flips all the way around. So now the, the car would be in the opposite direction. Of, so rather than me heading southbound, the front of the car is now heading northbound, right? And now the car, it, like I don't know if it was immobilized or not, but it's slipping down the ramp. Jeez. And I'm watching this, and then there's oncoming traffic coming from the other direction. And all of a sudden, the car just stopped in the mud. I was like, man, that guy's lucky that he didn't get it. But, oh, absolutely. You know, you're you're only as good as your tires. I don't care what your car is. Oh, 100% yes, and you're only as good as the road conditions are. So, And black guys doesn't care how good your tires are. Doesn't care. As much as things took place this morning when it came to traffic that were just absolutely mind-numbing, I can kind of understand it from the fact that's like, okay, we, we should take our time. It rained a whole boatload and then snowed, and we all know how that goes. When it rains, it washes all that salt off. And then that snow comes down and things get ugly. So I, I get it from that perspective. But this morning was ridiculous. Uh, it was it was ridiculous. It was a little nuts that we were in this position. And not to mention on top of that, I know we live in Cleveland, Ohio, and I know what we signed up for. I'm very well aware of all those things. I am someone who says I, I, I love all four seasons. I love living here for that reason. This week of, okay, so we're going to be 70 degrees and then you're going to wake up, it's going to be 60 degrees outside, and when you walk out of work, it's going to be 40, then it's going to be 20 when you wake up the next day. Like, this is ridiculous. Even for us, this is You wonder is why everybody's sick right now, too. Like, right. I missed yesterday. I'm barely hanging on today. Jeff's not here today, so I just kind of felt like I better be here for the team, right? Or you don't trust me. No, I trust you. I, think you I just, I just, you know I what I don't need? Me. Like, can, can just someone just understand you. that... We live in this world now where you still try to help out the team. I'm just having fun by the way. No, because I'm going to get some basement dweller who has nothing better to do, and they hear me, you know, like my voice is a little bit off, or I'm coughing every once in a while, or you can hear me coughing in your mic. I Like, I don't come to work thinking that I want to do that. Just so I can tell you that, I do everything I can so that if I've got to clear my throat or I've got, like, I'm totally congested right now. I'm not, you know, I went to the doctor yesterday trying to get, Get through this as quick You're as I can. Great. You're doing great. Yeah, but what drives me nuts are like, hey, why did you go to work? I heard you cough, man. That's the gross. Okay, the whole world coughs. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's. I don't right. want to break to you. I think I that's just... right next to that other book. Which one? Everybody coughs. It's right next to everybody. Well, you know. Oh, I thought you were going to say flatulence is your friend. I thought that was well, the next one. Too. That's say. right next to the other one. That's everybody. You know. But it's not like so. Please save your tweets because I'm just going to block you, or I'm going to. Um, I'm going to mute you if you do that. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've muted people for that. So if you feel like you're consistently sending that, like, I don't know how, but somehow, some way, sometimes I have people muted and they can still get into my timeline. How does that happen? Just blame me, Elon Musk. It's easier. I don't understand that. Like, so I've completely muted some people. And, you know, the problem is you may have a great sports take, but I'm never going to see it again because you felt the need that you, like, had to rip me on a day that, like, I'm just trying to be a team player here for all of us, all of Northeast Ohio. I blame trying Elon. to be here for all of us. I blame Elon. Yeah, blame Elon. That's the easiest way. He to made me cough. Stuff. He made me clear my throat. All right, so a little bit of off the beaten path news as well that we can do uh, on the tail end of this. So Shohei Otani announced that he officially got married in an Instagram post. Yeah, what's that all about? So, like, this is a double-edged sword because there's one part of me that puts my hand in the air and goes, I don't care. Don't care. Didn't care before. Don't care now. Good for you. Nothing but health and happiness to you and the family. But there's another part of me that sees this and goes, 
did Major League Baseball maybe actually get something kind of right? What do you mean? Well, we made a giant deal during the football season about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. A slightly smaller deal about Jonathan Owens and um, Simone Biles. Married, you know, who are married, of course. Jonathan Owens, backup safety for the Packers. Simone Biles was all over the place during Packer games and all that stuff as well. And the NFL promoted all of these different things. Are we now going to take this pop culture aspect of our biggest stars and start promoting it? And is Major League Baseball maybe onto something by going, hey, our best player got married? And putting this out there with the picture of him and his dog, he did not put a picture of his beloved on there. But do we like this and do we think this is the direction that sports are starting to go? That maybe this marketing aspect of having some level of celebrity to all of this and I guess for lack of better terminology, e-channel to all of it is the right direction. All right. So I had this conversation about Taylor and Travis the other day, right? right? And they're so high profile. Yes. It's out of control. Is it to their advantage? And I'm not saying, look, if they love each other and they want to be together, should they get married? Unless, I mean, if they want to have kids, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, like, okay, got it. I'm very much to your life. Do with it as you see. Yeah, fit. Whatever see you do thing. has no impact on what I do. I, it's just how, how I am with this. I just think it's interesting that we have now developed and, and it's been there for a little while. I mean, heck, you can point back to Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio if you want, but like we've really hit this point where sports really have turned into TMZ on us. And we have an aspect of this world that has had some connections, but not a ton. It's more than that. It's just journalism is, is not what it was. It's just, it isn't. And in some ways it's good. In some ways it's bad. I mean, there's information getting out there that perhaps people need to know and need to know quicker. Think about how fast you can find out about, like, let's take something in a positive light. Amber Alert, right? Right. Like, Amber Alert is instant. We all know it within seconds. Without question. And, you know, or, you know, weather data that we need quickly. Uh, tornado warnings. All of those things are are really good. But how many times do we see these stories sometimes where you jump to conclusions and come up with opinion as soon as you hear the story? Or the story has opinion in it in itself. And sometimes it's one source reporting or complete speculation. And that's just kind of where I just, we're failing each other, I think, in some ways. Because we're in such a big hurry to get the story out sometimes that we don't let the facts get in the way. And they should. That's why I'm telling you, you know, when I, I, it's a joke sometimes when I say with Tom Withers, it's not news until Tom Withers says so. Because I know Tom vents his stories to make sure that yes. everything is a thousand percent accurate yes like i don't ever question anything that tom Withers says because i've been reading him long enough i trust him and i also know that he is you know an associated press writer that holds himself to extremely high standards and isn't going to go flimsy on a story where he might need a second stores and, and you know and tom's joining us here in a couple minutes and i didn't mean that for any that I, there was like i didn't write down oh make sure you say this about tom no i but I, I, i'm telling you that for someone who's been in the business as long as, and Jeff will agree with me on this, so I can, I think I can speak for him. Like, we trust Tom. Like, so, there's no questions. It was, had to have been the Hugh Jackson era. So somewhere in 2018, 2019, somewhere in that area. 
Seth Wickersham put out a piece of ESPN. Seth Wickersham does an unbelievable job. He he vets a lot of stuff. He works really hard. I am not saying what I'm about to say to insult Seth Wickersham, okay? Please do not take it that way. He is awesome at what he does. He's one of the best writers we have going. He put out a piece from there that had a whole bunch of anonymous sources on it. I'll never forget when it came out, and I thought, okay, let's let's have Tom out because I have gotten to know Tom decently enough. And it was one of the most wonderful conversations I have ever had about journalism when I brought Tom Withers on, and all I did was say to him, you read the Wickersham piece, what do you think? And Tom goes, here's the problem we're running into with pieces like this. It is anonymous sources all over the place. We have nothing that's had a second source. We, and he just basically was like, I'm not insulting Seth Wickersham because I know he worked hard at this, and I know what he's saying in here is not made up, but this is not the extent that I work with, and this is why I'm the Associated Press, and that's why that's ESPN. So you're going to laugh because I know you sometimes, you know, like, especially when you first started, I know Jeff and I would look and you'd be like, oh, I've got so-and-so beat reporter. We're going to bring him in. Correct. And Jeff and I would sometimes look at you with a third eye. Now, we trust your judgment, but especially early on, Jeff and I have been around here. Like, you have to understand that sometimes when we're talking, especially about our own teams, to get information about our own teams, I I mean, I trust the the folks that are around these teams 24-7. Right. And sometimes when we bring in a national writer to talk about our teams that will say things that Jeff and I might already know or are in the background or we know where we would go mm-hmm. to get the information, a lot of times when something flies national first before local, Jeff and I will both have this instant reaction of the team just planted something. Yes. That happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, and that's why I think sometimes, like this is all behind the curtain stuff, but... Sometimes when we, we talk to guests, Jeff and I, like, we know who we like to talk to because we know who we trust because mm-hmm. we've just been around this game too long. And at some point, you'll look and be like, oh, no, I know why those guys did that, why they said that. All right. We're off and moving, aren't we? We're having, like, meetings here in the middle of a segment. We'll break Pooh in. This is great. He'll come in. We'll break down. We'll talk ethics with him. It'll be next. great. Tom Withers, Associated Press. Anyone? Anyone? Tom Withers from the Associated Press. We can talk anything with him, and we will. Next, Baskin and Phelps. With, you know who, Dan Menigan sitting in today. Want to be a part of the show? All you need to do, 216-474-0092. Baskin and Phelps, 92.3 The Fan. Dan Menigan is in today for Jeff. Jeff taking a little R&R, enjoying the day. 216-474-0092. 216-474-0092. That is the number to call in. 216-474-0092. A lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the Guardians spring training. Cavaliers, double overtime loss last night. Uh, Browns checking things out in Indianapolis. So there is a lot to talk about when it comes to Cleveland sports, especially like stadiums going to look or the ballpark's going to look a little different when you go into it this year. It's really weird to go by the ballpark every day and see the, the upper deck is like missing. Have you looked in there lately? I haven't seen it in a minute, no, but I, I saw they were starting to put in the blue seats and all that good stuff. I haven't seen the upper deck. Yet. That's beyond that. You can look right through, man. It's just it's crazy. You drive in, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I can see through all that stuff. The man that can see everything, though, he is Tom Withers, and of course I always say it's not news until Tom Withers says so from the Associated Press. He's on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Tom, how are you? How are you, Tom? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? We are good. Doing well, dude. Have you driven by the ballpark lately? When's the last time you were down by the ballpark? 
Yeah, I was at the ballpark on, uh, what's today, Thursday? I was at the ballpark on Tuesday. Um, We had a Final Four news conference uh, that morning. And so, yeah, I stopped and took a look at the ballpark. The the ballpark is in pieces right now. Right. Um, There is so much work going on. And I just, I kind of looked at the, uh, there was a bunch of construction workers gathered there by the, you know, by the plaza there, by the left field entrance. And, God, they were moving huge sections of seats in and, you know, there's cranes going and everything was just so busy. I couldn't believe it. And I'm and I'm thinking, goodness gracious, they got like, what, 30 days to get this place ready. So and then the, I noticed the executive offices have been like completely gutted. There's nothing over there. I think you guys probably know that they're working out of a temporary office downtown. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, everything, <laughs> everything is in flux down at uh, the corner of kind of. Uh, Carnegie and Ontario. Ontario and Carnegie, yeah. yeah. Uh, the good news is they're moving the home opener to Brazil. So we'll all be in good shape then, and then we can just go down there and check it out there. So. Oh. Yeah. I'm in for baseball at Copacabana Beach. You kidding me? Let's go. There you go. Fun let's stuff. Let's do it, baby. Let's do it, yeah. Tom, Tom let's start with the Cavaliers. Uh, tough one last night, but showed, yeah. some, showed some flaws. But, I, I, you know, you go in, you make the playoffs, you win your first series, no one's going to remember a double overtime loss to the Bulls. No true, but I always, you know – Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll be the optimistic view here, but, you know, the, the Struess shot, you know, erased some big mistakes down the stretch in that game. Um, now, granted, I thought Darius Garland got tackled at half court, and that should have been a call. Um, you know, Evan Mobley was unable to inbounds the ball there with eight seconds to go, which was a little bit of a troubling sign. And they, you know, frankly, kind of staggered out of the gate here after the All-Star break. So, and and then last night was one of those situations that, you know, you see on the schedule, like a back-to-back coming off of an emotional win. That wasn't exactly that surprising. And Chicago's got a pretty good team. I mean, you know, DeRozan can play and they've got some, they've got some good parts. So listen, we're headed to, towards the home stretch here. I think everybody would be very satisfied if I told you before the season that the Cavs would be 20 games over 500, not knowing the circumstances that they were going to have to deal with. So you know, they're in a pretty good place, um, but let's let's be honest. At the end of the day, this is good. what all that's going to matter this year is how they do in the playoffs and whether or not they can get past a round or two. The only thing that concerned me coming out of that game and was the fact that they got out-rebounded 73 to, to oh 39. Oh, my goodness. That, yeah. was, that was the one because I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'm watching this Knicks series in replay right now. This is mm. not good. No, that's a fair point, Dan. And, and when you saw the way Orlando played them last week, right, which was kind of pulled straight from that Tom Thibodeau notebook. Like, let's be physical with this team. You know, let's push them around and do what we can. Now, you know, the good thing for the Cavs this year is, for the most part, they've pushed back, right? Jared Allen has been a, a different kind of player this year. Evan Mobley, when he's been on the floor, has shown those moments where he's he's obviously gotten bigger and stronger. You know, you can see it in his shoulders and, and, the, and his arms. Uh, so physically, he's coming along. It's just that mental switch that I think sometimes needs to be turned on for him. You know, there's moments where – you know, he still grabs the ball and he's looking to pass it first when you're thinking, boy, I'd love to see him put the ball on the floor and take a power move to the basket and, and challenge somebody, try to dunk on them. You know, I mean, you see that out of Jared Allen every once in a while. So, yeah, it's, you know, listen, uh, and I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, and well, JB's trying to figure out, but as you know, all the, all the armchair co- coaches at home here are trying to figure out what rotations work best. Um, I think the great thing that is that has emerged here, guys, this year is that, Last year, this team didn't have any depth. Now they've got almost too much at times. You know, you know. Unfortunately, you're seeing that Sam Merrill is becoming less and less important. But he may have to emerge. He may have to reemerge at some point here. 
Um, you know, Max Struess the other night, you know, putting on a shooting barrage like he did shows you the depth of this team. And I'll tell you what, Karis LeVert to me, you guys, has been like such an unsung hero for this team all year. Sure, are there games where he doesn't shoot well and, and doesn't deliver, but, you know, there are nights where he's, he's flirting with a, a double-double or a triple-double. He's been a real facilitator, and, and sometimes, frankly, there's, there's times where he seems like he's the only guy that's, that's really trying to make a strong move towards the basket. So, yeah, listen, th- there's still a lot of time left for them to, to figure out all, you know, all the little things that they need to before they get ready for the playoffs. And, uh, boy, this, this season has all of a sudden accelerated quicker than I expected. So what do you think the biggest thing is that they learned from last year that they'll be able to take into this year? I, for me, you just don't get experience until you get it, right? And so I got to believe that there's some yeah. hard feelings about last year about the way just underachieved. And going into that, and can they suck that into this year? That's my question. Certainly, that's a big part of it, Andy. I think it's also, and listen, I'm going to sound like a coach here for a second, but it's about valuing those possessions, right? It's about really taking care of the ball when it when it matters most. And and to your point, Andy, I think that that's only things that you gain through experience. And and listen, I think every team that we've ever seen that has been on a you know trajectory towards a championship, whether it be a conference championship or the NBA title, has got to go through growing pains. And this team is no different. And I think. There are also times where we forget, and, and I, I catch myself doing this as well, that you forget that Evan Mobley would be a senior in college right now. I mean, the kid is still, you know, learning the game and, and, and learning how to play it at the very highest level. So, um, you know, all things said, I think, you know, this team has already provided some exciting moments this year, and I think we're going to see more to come. Tom Withers, the Associated Press, joining us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I think the other one I took away from yesterday's game that put a smile on my face, Tom, just because we've talked a lot of negative, but here's the positive. Darius Garland looked like Darius Garland yesterday. Like He did. That shot looked good. The finish looked good. Like It looked he, like it was starting to click finally. Yeah, and I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, Dan. I noticed that the other night as well um, against Dallas. He was kind of playing with a, a little bit of a different pace. He was playing a little more of like that, that quick Darius Garland, fast twitch muscle, all over, you know, flying through the lane, looking to looking to pass the ball, looking for his shot um, that we haven't seen. And I think, in fairness to Darius, I mean, I've, I've never broken my jaw, but I know a couple people who have. That's an awful injury. And, you know, never mind the physical toll that it takes on you. And, you you know, you lose weight and, and you can lose some muscle. You also lose some confidence. I mean, you know, he broke his jaw in a very routine play, you know, driving to the basket on Porzingis up in – in Boston in December. And so I think there's a mental hurdle that he had to overcome as well about, you know, taking the ball inside there against, against big guys. I think, you know, he's, he's only human, right. He's got to, he's got to deal with all those things as well. But I think the thing that struck me, Dan, more than anything else was that he was playing faster. And I think that's probably coming straight from, you know, from, from the coaching staff is like, you know, Darius, do you go out there and, and make things happen. And I think we're seeing, you know, little bits of that here and there now. All right, uh, let's switch gears over to football for a second. Combine going on in Indianapolis. Um, your thoughts on that, what the Browns should kind of be looking for? I don't know that you can mm. give me a grocery list now because free agency being first, yeah. but there are that things the Browns everything. will need next year, and free agents are going to want to sign that, that are their free agents right now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm i one of these people that kind of, and I and I don't go to the Combine only because if, at, at the AP we would have to send, you know, 32 writers, which – turns into an exorbitant cost, you know, regardless of what our budget might be. But um, so I kind of keeping an eye on it from afar. I don't put a ton of stock in it. Um, I, I think it's a great opportunity for, you know, for the Browns, especially with a, 
you know, basically a new offensive coaching staff to kind of get together and, and figure things out from that standpoint. You know, hey, we're still dealing with the, the aftermath of the Deshaun Watson trade, so there is not a number one pick. You know, I think they pick, what, 54 is the, is the top pick. I thought it was interesting to hear Andrew Barry say the other day that he doesn't do well with, with money in his pocket, which kind of led me to think that he's, you know, if the, if the right move comes along or the right trade presents itself, that he'd be enticed to make a move out of that spot. You know, to me, guys, they're, the, the, the shopping list begins and ends with wide receiver. I really think they need to make a significant upgrade there, whether that's to, to pair a, you know, a fellow number one, if you want to call him that, with Amari Cooper. But I think they need an upgrade and some more depth there. You know, there were some moments last year where Elijah Moore looked like the Elijah Moore that the Browns were hoping that they would get, but that, that didn't really pan out until Joe Flacco got here. Let's be, let's be quite honest. Uh, the Marquise Goodwin thing, and I know he had some, some, you know, some serious injury issues early on, and, but that really never panned out. Cedric Tillman had a hard time getting on the field early. I think we saw some flashes there. But to me, you know, this is all about Deshaun Watson going forward and surrounding him with the, the right offensive pieces, and I think that begins and ends with wide receiver at least for this draft and this free agency class. So, Tom, they also announced that they are heading back to the Greenbrier and then joint yeah. practices with the Minnesota Vikings. They keep talk, coming back to how important this Greenbrier trip was, and it seems like they're trying to emulate it again. Did, did, is it, did it have the impact that they think they'd have? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, Dan, that, you know, while we were down there, and I was, I was lucky enough to go down for five or six days down to Greenbrier and um, – barely came home that's for another time I almost uh I took my bike down there and almost collided with a golf cart going about 40 miles an hour oh no um on down a hill which was um, one of the scariest moments of my life anyway so I've got my own memories of did anybody yell for either side yeah no it was uh, it was it was quite a quite an event anyway wow sorry um, to hear that it was, it, yeah thanks it was it's all good um it was interesting to hear how as the as the year unfolded um, and this started fairly early on, guys, is that players kept referencing back to Greenbrier and, and the bond that they were able to build there. And so that continued just to get reinforced and reinforced. And you could really tell that, you know, and much like this Cavs team, and, and I know that, you know, people kind of sometimes dismiss it, but when you're around players and guys that get along together and you, you, can, you can literally feel it. And we felt that last year, especially in the Browns locker room. And trust me, over the, over the last 25 years here, those years have been few and far between. So there was something genuine about it, Dan. Um, and I think, you know, all those good vibes, you know, led them toward an 11-6 season, despite all the issues they had, despite playing five starting quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they feel like, hey, you know what? That model worked well. We've seen with other teams, uh, you know, the, the sense of, of, of bonding and, and kind of commitment that guys get when they get away from the facility. And I think, I think it's all a good, positive thing. And, um, yeah, I'm going to talk to my boss later today about, <laughs> about booking a room in July now. Hey, remember when I didn't need to go to Indy? Well, now I kind of think I need to go to Greenberg. <laughs> but you may yeah, also I... need to put some money away to go to Brazil. Well, in the, yeah, no kidding. But the great thing about, you know, those kinds of situations, too, from a media standpoint, guys, is that we do get, we do get great access. And it's a, you know, it's an opportunity where, um, you know, it's very different talking to a guy in a locker room in Berea midweek than it is to sit outside in the sunshine in West Virginia in July and get to know people. And, you know, still at the heart of my job is, is relationship building and, and gaining trust of whether it's a coach or a front office member or a player. And so, you know, those things are valuable for me. And I, I, I never overlook those opportunities to try to, you know, 
make my job a little bit easier by getting to know these people. So, Tom, I, I thought it was interesting because Dan and I were talking about this before. The NFLPA mm-hmm. comes out with these grades for franchise organization. Yeah. And Kevin Stefanski, and it was it, my son actually brought it up to me yesterday. He was like, what do you think of this, Dad? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And I go, what kind of grade did Kevin get? He goes, B, B minus. I go, okay, that's good. There's nothing yeah. wrong with a B. He goes, Dad, look at the list. Look how far down he is on the list. 28th. And I was like, wow. I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I didn't expect that. What was your reaction? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know how, you know, did it say how many players voted? Did it say, you know, who, you know, did somebody, you know, somebody got an ax to grind? Did they give him an F? Did that balance out with the A that he got from Nick sure. Chubb? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how that thing was, you know, presented to the players or what have you. I don't, I don't put a heck of a lot of stock in it, guys. I mean, listen, they got a D or whatever for facilities, and then you walk in over in Berea, and you're like, okay, there's their cryotherapy chamber, and there's their, uh, you know, their 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 posh, this that or the other. So they I were out know, of Grey Poupon the last time listen, I was there. I was yeah, so we, dis- listen, I was so all dis- the recliners were filled. Oh, I had to sit I on a floor. You, right. I don't have to tell you guys, we live in a different world than than the the modern professional athlete. So, um, you know, I think they've got all the amenities that they need to make a good run at the AF- AFC North title next year. All right, Tom. So then let's, uh, well, wait, we never got a re- reaction from you. Did you, uh, what do you think of the Browns possibly going to Brazil? Do you think that's something that's on the table? And do you think that's something that's good for the league? I do know that it's on the table and um, they have not heard yet officially, but it is obviously a very strong possibility as it was, presented to me so yeah i think you know listen we you know we've seen this with the nfl they're they're they've tapped into that global marketplace and whether that's in uh dusseldorf or in in rio they want to expand the game and they want to use these opportunities to to grow the game internationally you know i don't know if in our lifetimes guys we will see a team based in london or or you know wherever else you want to say in europe or in south america but um, yeah, I think it is good. I think it's interesting. I, you know, it's, hey, again, you know, traveling to West Virginia is one thing, and then heading down to Sao Paulo is, is an entirely different thing. So I think it would be kind of cool, um, you know, from a selfish standpoint. I don't know if I'd be making that trip. That would be probably, um, you know, something that the, the AP would have to consider in terms of, you know, cost cutting and what have you. So, but yeah, I do think it's good. I, you know, I, I don't want to put too much travel on a team's plate, though. Um, you know, you saw. And the Browns were able to, to navigate this. I mean, they made some, they made a lot of trips last year, right? And they had a, you know, beginning with, uh, you know, West Virginia, and then you know the Canton Hall of Fame thing. And I know that's a short trip, at least for the Browns. But then they had the West Coast thing, and we all saw that that didn't go very well, even though they stayed out in LA for a week. So, you know, by and large, I, I think it's a good positive thing, not only for the Browns or for the NFL if they do play in Brazil. All right, quickly, got about a minute left here. Just your general yeah. thoughts on the Guardians as we get closer to the season, and just it, it's it, for me, Tom. It's weird because like you look at power rankings, they're like twentieth, twenty. But you know yeah. what? That might put them uh, that might put them in second place in the AL Central. And just, let's look yeah. and see what Arizona did last year. So I mean, hope isn't lost early the way it used to be when I was young. But it's no, just I, it's interesting going into this thing. I agree with you, you know, and listen, I, I think, you know, for me, you know, one of the big, you know, not a telltale sign, but something I'm going to watch closely is, you know, Shane Bieber's first outing is coming up this weekend. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see if he does get that uptick in velocity, because we all know here it's, Hey, it, it's to me, it's going to start and end with this pitching staff and the health of this pitching staff. You know, people want to talk about last year, which I believe what 76 and 86, they ended 
you know, without having Tristan McKenzie and, and Shane Bieber essentially in the rotation for the majority of the season. So, you know, we can, we can talk all we want about this team needing a power hitting outfielder and they do need one. There's no question about it. Um, and they got to find a way to, to, you know, create more runs. But I think with this, with a, a new manager in Stephen Vogt that yeah, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to be optimistic and to be hopeful. And as you mentioned, Andy, you know, anytime you're playing in the AL central, you've got more than a fighting chance. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the way that, that Vote handles this staff. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the mistakes that Vote, you know, makes early on and, and has to make, make corrections for them. I think they do have some interesting pieces in this lineup, and he's going to have to figure out a way to, to put it together to maximize what they have without having, you know, that, that big bopping bat. So, and, and I'll be honest with you guys, I've been keeping an eye, too, on some of those free agents that are still kind of working out there and wondering whether or not they make a move at some point. Um, so, yeah, keeping an eye on them. And, um, you know, the, the good thing, guys, is despite the, the snowfall we had this morning, that spring is on the way, and that always, that always breeds optimism and, uh, and, and hope. So close. Thank you, Tom. Always appreciate your time. You're the man. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll take, talk to you soon. Care. Tom Withers from the Associated, Pro- Associated Press. It's not news until Tom Withers says so. He was on the North Elmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Time now for a 2020 with Andrew Rody. Baskin and Phelps, 92.3 The Fan. We're going to talk a little basketball here. Have you seen how much the tickets are for Ohio State, Iowa women? Have you seen the numbers on these? If you haven't, we're going to talk about it in just a few moments. I want to talk about the Cavs before we get to that, too. We talked to Tom Withers. Um, you know, I, I would say generally with Tom from the Associated Press talking about the Cavs, I feel like he thinks they're going in the right direction. and We're still trying to, like, I, I think we're all just kind of pushing to the playoffs right now. We all are. Right. Everybody's looking at this season for the Cavs and saying the exact same thing, which is, you know, your your hardcore NBA fans have had an eye on it. They want to see how this evolves. They want to see if they figured out some things that, that plagued them. But the vast majority of the fans are looking at this and going, okay, call me when the playoffs start because we got embarrassed by the Knicks last year, and I don't want to be embarrassed again. And so can this team not embarrass in the postseason? So did last night scare you then because, you know, on the boards they struggled and that's what the Knicks did to the Cavs in the playoffs last year, especially offense. Now it did go to double overtime and you could chalk it up and I can give you a million excuses, especially on the on the back end of a back-to-back with a win, trying to get a win on the road and coming off the amazing win the night before where Max Drews hits a, well, almost a 50-footer to win the game. And so, I mean, there's a lot of emotions riding high coming out of that. And you ask yourself in a back-to-back, what's the goal here? Are we trying to split for 20 games over 500? Same token, though, you know, you want to win those games. You got to feel like you can win those games against Chicago. I I can give you every excuse and go, okay, that's a reason to lose. I think the biggest excuse I'll give you is if you win in the playoffs, no one cares about a double overtime loss at the end of February. Well, right. I mean, that's how all of this stuff – that has been the operating procedure of the Cleveland Cavaliers since the Donovan Mitchell trade has just been, okay, call me when the playoffs start. It's almost, and it's not exactly like this. It's why I'm going to say almost like, so please don't call up and start yelling at me. It's almost like we're back to LeBron times where it's like, okay, well, in the way that people are looking at it, like, okay, call me when the playoffs start. I don't care about a game in late February that was lost in double overtime. Call me when the playoffs start. Call me when the playoffs start. 
I don't care. Call me when the playoffs start. Like, how many times did you hear that from 20, I don't know, 2007 to, to when, or 2004 to After the Cavs beat Detroit with LeBron. LeBron uh, 1.0 after they beat Detroit to get to the finals. That's all you heard about. That's what it took to get there, to have that feeling, that feeling of arrogance of we own the playoffs, this is us, let's go forward, which is okay, man. I like being the alpha bug. I loved it. I loved it. There are things in this game, and we talked a little bit with Tom, and a little bit what you saw out of it, and he brought up the good point, which is that out of the gates, they've they've kind of scuffled a little bit coming out of the all-star break. And some of that is, you know, had to do with Donovan Mitchell not exactly being well. You know, we all know that the flu was floating around the all-star game and that guys were, you know, sick coming out of it. But the things that stood out to me in that game, one of them is it was the first game in a long time where they got out physical. And that was the one that was an eye-opener. Again, they got out rebounded in this game, and I know, double overtime, 74-39. to 39. I mean, the Bulls grabbed 74 rebounds on them. Andre Drummond in this game grabbed 26 rebounds. DeMar DeRozan at 10. Vucevic had 13. I mean, that's massive. That's an eye-opener. Kobe White had eight boards in this game, too. And Kobe White's a point guard. You know, as much as we want to say he's a little bit taller for a point guard, fine, whatever. This was the first time in a while that I had seen Jared Allen and Evan Mobley get pushed around and out physical the way that they did by Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein in the playoffs or Hartenstein. I was supposed to pronounce it. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. It doesn't matter. Walk this way. That's right. But that was the eye opener of this game. That was like the downside eye openers. I went, Oh man, this is, this is brutal. They've got to find, I missed, and I can't believe I'm saying it. I missed Tristan Thompson last night. I missed having somebody with some heft to him. When is he back? I, I just I don't think he is. But I missed somebody who had some heft to him. I missed somebody with a little extra muscle. I missed somebody who was a little more, a little bigger than what you have out of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And Evan Mobley would get there at one point. Same thing with Jared Allen, who's younger than you think. They may end up being able to put that muscle on. They may end up being able to put that strength on. But, boy, you missed him last night when you were getting pushed around a little by those bigger guys. Uh, I, I mean, I just, I, I, it doesn't bother me that they lost, right? I'm not like, I'm not right. bothered it's that not they lost. It's not or anything yeah, like that. Right. This is the first eye opener that I'd had this season. That was kind of a, oh boy, that wasn't a positive eye opener. There've been a lot of positive eye openers this year. This is probably the first negative eye opener that I had this season. That was like, okay, here's something here. And then Tom bringing up that magic game on top of it, where again, got pushed around a little. And that was, that was what Tom Thibodeau did. They kind of pushed him around a bit. And most of the time, the Cavs this season have responded back by being a more physical team than what they were. And last night was the first time. It was like, uh, maybe not. On the positive side of last night, Darius Garland looked like Darius Garland. True. He really looked like Garland. That shot looked good. Like Tom said, that phonetic energy, all of those different things that came with it, he started to look like Garland. And that really put a smile on my face because I had sorely missed watching that guy be able to penetrate, kick out to open guys, make the right pass. That jumper started to look like Darius Garland's jumper as well. All right. So just a point of reference, Tristan got the suspension on January 23rd 
for 25 games. So kind of do the math on that. Does that make sense to you? Now I got to see what the record was on the 23rd. So I have to go back and count. You, you can you, you you can math all you would like. I think they're going to need to go to the buyout market for somebody. I think that's probably going to end up being the answer. I think you got to have buy. I don't have the date in front of me. I know it's early March is when you have to have your buyout guy set. So I hope that they saw what happened last night and try to get somebody in who is a veteran presence who can board and play some defense and maybe hit some rim rolls, and that's about it. Like, if you could find your version of end-of-career Tyson Chandler, that would be awesome right now because that's exactly what they, they need somebody with some heft to them. And I'm not saying, you know, go find the fat guy. I'm saying, like, get somebody with some muscle who's not going to get pushed around in some of these series so that you don't have to worry about this because last night was an eye-opener to me. Joe is in Cleveland. Hey, Joe. All right, Joe. Hey, guys. You know what? Tristan is the answer right there because for some reason he don't play anybody else to back up Allen, and he's getting a little worn out, especially put a big body on him. We were throwing bricks up, so nobody boxes out better than uh, Drummond. But, you know, I mean, that, that that's what kind of bothered me there. It's like, and then, Mitchell, if you want to be the man, make that free throw, bro. Yeah, they missed a lot of throws in that game, man. That that did me in, too. I was shaking my head a few times on some of those free throws. That's a good LeBron call, LeBron would have missed that. Look what LeBron did last night, 21 in the fourth. You know what I mean? Just, oh, that was a, if you want to be the, was you be the man, you better finish at a crush time. Even, look, even Garland, you know, he was hot, and all of a sudden, when we need him in that fourth, he couldn't hit. Joe, so, thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Have a good day, man. Uh, Steve is in Cleveland. Steve, Hi, Steve. Phone call. Hey, Steve-O. Hey, guys. Hey, listen, uh, a lot of those rebounds came off hard, guys, and the, the guards got caught underneath. They they have to do a better job. The guards have to do a better job so that doesn't happen. You know, it's one thing to get boxed out. It's another thing for the ball to come off the rim hard and go right back to the guy. So I blame a lot of that on the guards, too. Yeah, some of it, of course, falls on guards and all that stuff. And and as we know with rebounding, as much as we all laugh at Dennis Rodman explaining it in the last dance, like some of it's luck. You know, some of it is, okay, if it bounces off hard and you get long rebounds. I don't know, man. When Andre Drummond's grabbing 25, and, and I watched I watched every dribble of that game, that got pushed around. And it was the first time all season I was like, oh, crud. So you're right. And, and Joe on Mitchell, Mitchell had an off night last night. I know the box score looks a little bit better, and the box score looks differently than, you know, what I'm saying here. I mean, he played 44 minutes. He only had 19 points in this game. He missed some shots. He didn't look like Donovan Mitchell. He looked like he was worn down. He looked like a guy who was on the back-to-back, <laughs> to definitely state the least. And, you know, you're going to run into that sometimes. That, uh, that's that's a schedule loss. Looking at those numbers based on Tristan's suspension, going back to that, I think it's like March 16, 18, somewhere there. He'd be back after 25 games, which would leave him like 15, 16 games left on the back I mean, end of the season. So, Boy, they needed it yesterday. Because Drummond was everywhere. And I can't stand Andre Drummond. I don't think he's a winning player. But, boy, he was everywhere last night. All right. Let's uh, – I'm, I'm sticking with basketball here for a second. Maybe talk a little bit more Cavs. But I, I don't go into this, uh, what would you pay to go watch Ohio State-Iowa? Because the ticket prices for this game coming up, the final regular season game, of uh, the season between Ohio State and Iowa uh, are through the roof. We'll talk about those when we come back here. In a second, 216-474-0092.
Are players actually tired or are they being told they're tired? There's one coach that kind of thinks they're being told that they're being tired. We'll talk about that coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. It's Baskin and Phelps. He's Dan Menigan. I am Andy Baskin. 216-474-0092. That is the number to call in. All right, so a lot of hoopla, a lot of talk about uh, Ohio State and Ohio State going up against Iowa. Iowa's final home game of the season. Could it be Caitlin Clark's final home game of her career at Iowa? Yeah, there's a chance. Um, but it's, and from what it's Dan, what you're reading and what I'm reading, probably the same, right? Probably is. Yeah, it sounded like so. She's got one more year of eligibility if she wants it, um, because she is a you know we're still dealing with the tail end of the COVID. Everybody got a year because of the COVID season, right? And so it's looking like she's going to go to the WNBA draft. She'll be the first overall pick. It's just a matter of her choosing if she wants to come back to Iowa for one more year. We're not going to get any kind of decision, of course, till the end of the year. It would probably be if Iowa doesn't win the national championship, she would come back. Like that's the, at least to me, that's the only way I think she would come back. Gotcha. That she would even think about it, or even if she doesn't, I wonder if she still goes to the WBA. All right, so they are saying that tickets for this game highest ever in women's basketball history. This is nuts. It's number six Iowa, number two Ohio State. Okay, and this is a story I just saw. It was released. Uh, by Spectrum News One. Just saw this. Here we go. Ready? Uh, currently on TickPick. Average ticket price for the game is. Want to guess what the average price is? It's more fun when you guess. 120 bucks. Hody's never going to get this. Hody, guess. Hody, he's, don't He's guess. getting sound and he's not paying uh, attention. No, no kidding. Uh, average ticket price for this game, $550. Woo! Holy smokes. What would you pay for a college basketball game? Yes. Five fifty. Now, let's just think forward on this. What happens if Ohio State and Iowa make it to the finals in the NCAA tournament? And by the way, I could almost throw a baseball to where they'll be playing from here. I couldn't. My arm's not that strong. I don't know how far. Maybe I'd get it to the county building. I could probably throw it. I bet you could. A a little bit of warm up. You bet you could. You, you uh, could definitely hit it to there. I don't know. I, I don't. It could probably roll to East Ninth from here, maybe. Uh, so the average ticket price is five fifty for this week's game. Can you imagine what it would be for the finals of the NCAA tournament? Insanity. It would be. But it doesn't even matter if it's Ohio State in that game. It could be anybody against Iowa for the finals if they knew it was their last game. Hundred percent. It's so, and it's to her benefit to not say a word. It's so cool to me how Caitlin Clark in Iowa in the NCAA women's game has been way more of a talking point is the wrong way to put it, center of attention than anything that has taken place in the NCAA season, college basketball. You're saying it's the biggest story in college basketball all year? This is the biggest story in college basketball all year, and it's not even close. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know who you would put near it. Now, if you want to, I mean, sit- I know Indiana State's playing well for the first time since Larry Bird, but like, that's not even the size of Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark is insane. I mean, she's must see TV. You got people when she broke that record, they put it on Peacock. You had people going to Peacock to watch a college basketball game who don't live in Iowa. I mean, just think about that out loud. That's insanity. All right, do you want to guess what first row seat is? What that's going for? More. Really? 
Five? 3800 Okay. A first row seat, you would have to expect to pay around $3,853. Now, I wonder if the bump at the end of the game from the fan increased the ticket prices because if you're an Iowa fan, you want revenge <laughs> against Ohio State. Could that be the reason why, or is no. it because they want to say they were there for her last home game? I think some of it is I want to be there for her last home game. I think some of it is also I'd like to revenge Ohio State from the loss. I don't think the bump has anything to do with it. The bump like, is – that has become a side story, especially with all the other storming the floor stories. So you're looking at – I mean, the Ohio State could play Iowa three more times, right? They play – table. And here they could possibly play in the Big Ten tournament, then they could possibly play again in the NCAA tournament. Oh, that'd be awesome. Be cool be in downtown here. That'd be outstanding. Do you know how electric our city would be for that? Be unbelievable. I mean, you would you would have the biggest you'd probably have the biggest college basketball game. I mean, if it's if it's Caitlin Clark in Iowa and it's between Ohio State and they're somehow on two different sides of the bracket, or even if it's the rematch against LSU from last season, you're that's the biggest story going on. Like, that's the biggest – that game will be bigger than the NCAA tournament game, the men's if, game. If Ohio – I'm game. sorry, if Iowa makes the championship yes. game here in Cleveland, you know what they'll be saying, right? You it's know – No. No, that's not what they'll be saying. People will be asking what? Why is that game not in a dome? Like the men. You know I'm right. <laughs> oh, why don't I'm they have I'm 100% it a, right. Oh, 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 okay, now I'm tracking all right, because I'm initially like thinking you're saying this, and I'm like, Rocket Warriors Fieldhouse has a roof, Andy. I don't know what you're talking about. Why they is that game not being played in a dome here. like the men? That's exactly what you're going to hear. Oh, and they might be kicking themselves on the fact that it's not because, I mean, could you imagine if you could put that in Lucas Oil? I mean, fill 60,000 seats easy. If they would use the entire uh, – the entire because for basketball, they still cut it. They, they make it really big, but they still put a curtain up there, and they can – Kind of make it a little smaller for basketball, right? And help it help the, the sometimes, a bit. yeah, sometimes. This one though, I don't know if you would have to. I mean, it it might be the one, but again, it's not like the Q's a small arena. It's not like you know, or, or I should say, Rock and Merch. I am telling you that people will be upset because the game's not in a Andy, dome. What's the P Frank online? Uh, give people free ice cream. Half the people are going to complain that it's not chocolate. Exactly. What's the story of the X? Everybody's got a problem with everything. True. The only things the only things in this world that have a hundred percent approval rating is Dolly Parton, and I think that might be it now. For a while, we had somebody else up there, but now I think it's just Dolly Parton. Who doesn't? Oh, that's true. I would say free food, but someone will complain about. Someone will complain about. It. Again, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Vanilla versus chocolate. I think it's just Dolly Parton. Jim is in Strongsville. Hi, Jim. What's happening, Jim? Hey guys, listen. I get it. Like the women's game is more compelling right now, just because of the personalities of the teams. The, the ladies stay there longer because they can make more money and be more relevant in college basketball than they can in WNBA. But also, we need to take into account that we are the Johnny-come-latelys to this. Don't kid yourself that the Final Four has been sold out with ridiculous prices for the women the last 50, 15 years. This year might be really more of an extreme, but it always is. Just because we're new to the scene doesn't mean that it's not a, it's not a popular event and a sold-out crazy ticket to get under normal circumstances right that's why i'm just oh, saying imagine yes. the fact that it's the average ticket price for the last regular season game is 550 what's it going to be well, if I, they end I've up looked, here guys what? i have looked because i thought because it's in cleveland and i right the personalities or whatever i actually looked for tickets when i looked three weeks ago on the secondary market i could have gotten in for 350 dollars for two seats 
up in the you know Loudville section. Yeah, yeah. I I went now. I didn't do it, and I'm kicking myself for having not done it because now I'm logging back in. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll look at doing this now. And now there's six hundred and fifty to seven hundred dollars for wow. those same seats. So I'm just saying, by the time it gets there, no matter who's in the game, it's going to be obnoxious. Oh yeah, it's going to go up. You're going to get those fan bases showing up for it. It's just. It's one of those moments where it's like the the women's game is growing and this Caitlin Clark thing, especially if she ends up being there, it only skyrockets further. And you guys haven't even brought up, like, they're rabid fan bases down at LSU, South Carolina. It's crazy. And, you know, they've gotten discounted. But, listen, if you would have told me two years ago I'd be talking about women's college basketball as often as I am, and a lot of it has to do with gambling. No, it just does because when the women's – tournament was going on last year, I was just couldn't get enough of it. I, I would have thought you were crazy. I was breaking down South Carolina and uh, Iowa. I'm like, I, wh- when have you. I ever done anything like that? But Look it's, at you. it's compelling. It's a great game, and it's and it's been great this season. And on top of that, I mean, the men, Jim, and maybe I'm wrong because I haven't had a real eye on college basketball. I'll out myself on that one. It's not a whole lot of compelling players or stories or anything like that. Everybody keeps telling me this year's a down draft anyway. Is that still the case? I have no idea. I yeah. won't even pay attention to it until the tournament starts. He only That's cares what too. the line is. Come on, That's Jim. Well, listen, I watch the Mac, and I, I, I always got to tune in for Akron and Kent, and then anytime OU plays, I always got to flip that on. You know, I'm like, don't, don't be starting on the – I'm a Mac guy, and the fact that they don't get two teams in most years is, is ridiculous. It's aggravated. It's just not fair. It's not right. I don't know what the stigma is to the Mid-American Conference because the problem with the, the way, Mid-American I'm, I'm Conference be... is the Mid-American Conference. They beat each other up all season long. Well, and there's good teams and there's parity in the league. That's the problem with the MAC. That's, it always is. I take I if for ever since my kid was little, I would pull him out of school and take him to the whole day of MAC tournament on Thursday down down at the Q or Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. And for anybody out there listening, it is a great time to pull your kid out. You can enjoy four games over the course of an entire day, it is one of the best events, and you will I, – trust me, your kid will love it. Your wife might not like it, but it's – I always find – Jim, here's what I find amazing about the Mid-American Conference Tournament. You could go to Quicken Loans Arena a, a million times or the field out, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse a million times, and it feels one way for a Cavaliers game. When you put college teams in there with, with bands, it's a totally different feel. Totally different feel. It's awesome. It, and it doesn't just have to be. I know that they get bigger crowds when it's Kent and Akron, but it doesn't just have to be. I was there one year when uh, Western Michigan, the Broncos, were like the number one seed and whatever. Those fans came in, in mass to that game, and it was crazy. It just it, look, people will travel to it. It's the college atmosphere, and you're right. The band makes the difference. Absolutely, Jim. Thank, thank you. Appreciate Amen. your phone call. Yeah, it's just it's totally different. Oh, now, yeah. I can only imagine what it's going to be like for the women's final four. And you know, we were talking to. Uh, Tom Withers earlier, and they were, you know, they're getting ready for that too. It's just going to be an amazing weekend for that women's final four because you've got the home openers that weekend, the eclipses that weekend, and the women's final fours that weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm excited already for how much this place is going to be going nuts with all this stuff going on. The women's final four is going to be great, and it's going to be, and you're going to see again that place is going to be packed, and you're going to be the center of the sports universe is going to be right here in Cleveland because if it is Iowa. Eyeballs will be there. And if it's IOLSU, you'll have a ton of eyeballs. All right, let's come back. I want to talk about uh, players being told they're tired. And are they buying into what they're being told? Is it analytics? One coach uh, went off on this a little bit earlier this week, and we're going to play that for you when we come back.
Baskin and Phelps, 92.3 The Fan. 216-474-0092. I want to get into this story where there's a coach that thinks that maybe analytics is diving a little too deep. And, uh, you know, we're telling players that they're tired, so now they're buying into it. But the great Nick Wilson walked right by two seconds ago. Hey, guys. And I just wanted to say hello to you. How are things going for you? Oh, we're doing all right. Yeah. Just hanging in? Yeah, we're just hanging in here. I I was just telling Dan, I was so thrilled to see him bring in his father yes to work on the show today to do the 2020s yes. and I, i've never met him before but this 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 kindly middle-aged man behind the glass andrew deloise have yes. you met him before I, yes I, I, I believe his name is andrew andrew menigan i mean i just it's oh, good to see you know once you that. retire people can lose their purpose so to see him here with you guys today is just very special He's- i'm so proud of my boy running this show he's doing a phenomenal job isn't he all right, I crossed 23 the years old. Out. Yeah. You're creeped out? Done it. Yep. We found You're the You're 23, threshold. right? That's correct. 23. No, I'm going to Blake, need... Blake 182 has a 23 song, too, I was told. He has, but... uh, he has the le- reverse LeBron. Remember when Ty Lue said genetically LeBron was 21? Genetically, Andrew Hody is 59. <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. No, no genetically, I mean... I'm 23. It's just I dress like I'm 59 once in a while. That hat has been going day after day here for a while, too. It's not that I'm anti-hat. I like the hat. It's a nice Irish cap. Are you Irish? Yes, very Irish. Is it? For a second, I thought it was a Kangol. No, it's Irish. Yeah. It's an Irish hat. Okay. Do you have have leather gloves that go with that hat? I do not. Does it come with two AAA stickers on the back of a bumper? I just bought this hat solo this Christmas. What was it like covering Muhammad Ali in his heyday? It's just what I want to know. Oh, one of the best boxers to ever play. Was Grantland Rice to a nice play guy? and fight too at the same time, right? Oh yeah, and fight. I just want to make sure. Were you rooting for Mickey Mantle to hit the record instead of Roger Maris? Like, did you think because Roger was going to get the record, there should have been an asterisk because of the game difference that you know, between him and the Babe? Uh, I, I, I'll be very honest with you, Nick. I'm not too sure who you're talking. How about. hard could home run Baker really yeah. wallop that ball? Okay, okay. I think we're Andrew- beyond my time now. When you landed on Plymouth Rock. I wasn't even going there. I was going deeper than that. Did you think Moses was going to make it across the river? Did you think that was going to happen or no? Yes. You did. Did you stay on the right? You were good with that? Did you stay on one side of the river because you're like, I'm not doing this? I I just watched it happen. He actually lost his first hat of people betting against Moses. True. It's actually buried somewhere. I didn't even know there was an over and under to that. Sold oh, everything. for sure. For sure. Sold it all, including the hat. Did you yell at Noah about the animals saying, hey, we don't have room for that one? Those two? You already have two. <laughs> oh, I was absolutely infuriated. Bro, you got to young up, man. You yeah. got to go back. You got to go back to being yeah, young. You're only 23 you know once. Like, we would kill to go back to 23. Uh, well, you're not too much farther away from that, though. I'm 38. Thank you very much. All right, well, good. I'm giving you a little. When you're sitting on this, where I'm at right now, you Wait, killed did you me, just, 38. Did you just old man card me? Uh-huh. I old man carded me. Uh-huh. How, how old are, you, uh, are we allowed to say that? Or are we care. just making fun of Hody? No, you can make fun of me. I'm plus 55. Okay. All right. That's a very... Yeah. So we've gotten to the point where... So I was. I got my passport for Vanessa's... Am uh, I 55? I mean, do I act like I'm 55, though? Yes. No, you act like you're 23. Do you? No, right. he's wrong. Oh, I would, oh, I would know his head from you're his taking, ass. You're I mean, you're when you look at me, from do you a think guy like, who's oh, going to be at the early bird later, getting a sirloin and a baked potato for five fifty. Oh, that is true. I don't hockey think is very popular in the younger generations, and but you love a, hockey. 
Yeah, okay, that, that has nothing to do with it. Seriously, Hody, I'm going to need you to set this one out. You don't yeah. know what you're talking about. You're, you're 23. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when you're 23, it's not your fault. You don't know what you're talking about when you're 23. I didn't know what I was talking about when I was 23. He didn't know what he was talking about when he was 23. None oh, of us my God. I had no idea. I, I didn't know what I was growing up every morning in Missoula, Montana, going, what am I doing here? Yeah, I didn't know what I was Why talking about. Why am I here? Point. Am I stuck here for the rest of my life? And then I realized, now older, man, it wouldn't have been such a bad life to be stuck here. I got to say, I think the, the smart card you play was working with Jeff Phelps. Because you will forever it be the young, young one on the show. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of like the Rod Stewart. Like, I'm young. always going to be the loser on my show because psh, one, one of us played in the NFL. Yeah. Other, other, I, I can't make that joke I almost made. I forgot what time it was. Good job. Um, not safe harbor. Caught myself. Yeah, proud of you. So, Ness is turning one of the peak ages this year, one of the milestone ages. Yeah. I can't say it. I'm not allowed to say it. No. May I turn what? it next year? She refuses to say it. Yes. Oh, okay. And ergo, I there's an embargo in the house. So like today, got a passport, and the guy's like, oh, why are you guys going to go to Jamaica? Because Vanessa was there literally earlier this week. And I was like, ah, the, the wife is turning a different age. <laughs> I had to like save it because I knew like if I did, even to the postal man, not, not even on air, <laughs> if I had said to the postman uh, who's, who's giving me my damn passport, if I had said, oh, she's turning dot, 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 she would have felt the disturbance of the force, I, and he would have been toast. I got to probably would have did you make her herself? Yeah, you like, would have been toast. When we first started, people would call me like boomer to me and Jeff, and I would be like, I would get mad in the beginning. Yeah. I was like, and then I was just like, I, I don't care. I'm not a boomer. I'm still not in the boomer. I mean, I'm 55 plus, and I'm still age is a, a mindset. It is, isn't yeah. it? My father died at 51. He was the most immature 51 year old man you'll ever meet. Ah, so like the man never aged. He was eight. He was perma 18. So it's a mindset. My grandfather's 84 years old. You can't tell it. You'd, you'd be mm-hmm. like, well, 71, maybe 70. So age is, age is uh, but a mentality, and that's yes, why is. Hody is 97. That, that is, is true. Congratulations. correct. Octogenarian. Was born close to 97. Andrew. 1997. What do you have coming up on your show today? Uh, we're going to be doing it. We got uh, Adam Amin, who was on the call for the Bulls last night at 240. We'll talk about that uh, debacle in double overtime. Mm-hmm. We've got Albert Breer at 520. And... Um, Man, I really, I think I'm about to be old man yelling at the clouds about the state of the NBA because one rule proposal has me just vexed. Oh, and I will defend the good name of Mark Price. The morning boys, the morning goons today. What were they completely, they, Oh, I'm not even going to get into it. No, what did they say? Just tell me what they, they said. Uh, they said, because I made the point uh, very tiredly in the 620 segment last night that Mark Price in this era could win an M- uh, NBA MVP and – uh, they besmirched my good name and Mark Price's good name. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Team Wilson. They they threw Dale Ellis at me. They threw Craig Hodges at me. Come on. I mean, they 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 it got personal, and that's okay. All right. What time are you going to rip into them? Yes. Oh, you don't good know move. Yeah. Okay. All right. It'll happen when it happens. All right. We'll or be it listening. could be five hours. Who knows? It's you organic. Never know with me. He's organic. We can't we can't plan these. Things. I would enjoy that. He's <laughs> I'm organic. You, He's compost. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Cody has no idea. He just put his arms up there. Nick, I gotta, or, uh, Andy, I gotta pick my myself off the floor. You gotta host for a little. You're while. good. <laughs> that was a winner. Cody has oh, no idea. Tears. Who no is idea. that? I got tears. Who is? I mean, who is that? You mean, oh, that's beautiful. The compost line or the? I'll explain oh. it to you later. Well, I'll right, tell okay. you. We'll explain it to you in the break. <laughs> I'll tell you when you're older. All right, my friend. All right, so we spend a lot of time dissecting thoughts about um, analytics and the importance of that 
Um, and I, I found it interesting this week. I found a lot of things interesting, in case you're wondering, because I like to say that. Um, that John Tortorella, who used to be with the Blue Jackets, who's now with the Flyers, um, had a post-game press conference the other day. Hmm? And he said something that just, like, jumped off the page at me. I want you to listen to what he said. I'm just curious if you think he's right or if you think he's right. Do you agree or disagree? I agree on some of it. I disagree on another chunk of it. I agree on 80% of it, at least. I think that we tell players, like like the Cavs game last night is a prime example of that. I have I have said it. I have heard four hosts. I'll be interested to hear what Nick says a little bit later. That last night's loss for the Cavaliers was okay because why? Schedule loss. Schedule loss. Back to back. Back to back. They're just all excuses. Now, I just I don't remember. I mean, I'm not trying to be back in my day when I, before I told you to go off my lawn. Bob Feller pitched 146 innings in a row and didn't say anything about it. He just went out there and threw. Okay, there's a fine line between that and reality. But I do believe these built-in self uh, the, the excuses for why we lose or why we're not at peak performance sometimes can rest their head on analytics. And that's what I kind of got out of what he was saying there. So I am – we glorify the past – we are very, very good at doing that. We are, we are very good about saying, you know, oh, they, you know, Michael Jordan played eighty-two games X amount of times, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never missed a game. Because there's like, a funny saying about learning from the past. If you don't learn, well, then you're destined to do the same mistake again. And going all the way back to Will Chamberlain and, and, and everything else, you know, we've we always glorify what we used to have, and we always look at it a little bit differently. The difference, and I'll say with the NBA now, and then we'll move to baseball a little bit, but like on the NBA side of it, with minutes restrictions and what you brought up with Donovan Mitchell and the schedule loss and all that kind of stuff, the game is far more up and down now. We are playing at a faster pace than we used to. There are more possessions. There are more of those things that are coming with it. We are getting bigger, faster, and stronger. We have learned that people get hurt more if you push them. And so there is a threshold of building up a tolerance, and when you get past that threshold into to- into the tolerance, that's where you get injury. Wait, are you saying that if you play someone more often, they're more they- likely to get hurt? Yes. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't yes. it? Which- that's ca- that's called common sense, right? But when you hear it from this going, we've got analytics telling us that we shouldn't do this, and really we should just be toughing it out. It's like, well. But if we play people more, then they get hurt. Then you're complaining because they're hurt. And so there's a fine line that you got to draw on all of this stuff. And I know everything I'm saying is common sense. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing is we, we live in this world where it's like, well, Larry Bird played 82 games. Well, Larry Bird wasn't hustling up and down the floor at the same pace that we are right now. And Larry Bird wasn't dealing with guys. Wait, what? Are, are you trying to f- tell me you don't think Larry Bird hustled all the time? I think Larry Bird hustled all the time, but we like to point at these guys as like Larry Bird also was running the upper deck and eating cheeseburgers and beer after every single game going up against guys that did very similar things when it came to physical fitness and are not now precision athletes on specific diets for what they want to do. Wow. That are bigger, faster, and stronger. I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying, but keep going. Really? You you don't think there's a difference? Are you trying to tell me that those athletes weren't trying to be at peak performance when they were playing? You don't even tell me that that Bird or Johnson? 
those guys weren't trying as hard as they possibly could to be in top physical. Like I could look at that whole Boston Celtics team that that Larry Bird played on, or any, and I would say those guys, they they weren't. I mean, nobody was overweight. I can tell no, you that. But now, have we had advancement in yes, uh, in weightlifting and maybe trying to figure out when lifting is in peak performance? Yeah. But those guys worked their asses off. Yes, they did. Don't oh, sit here 100%. and try to tell me those guys didn't work hard and didn't want no. to play as hard as the guys are now. No, 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 and no, 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 no. Everyone is strong. If everyone you're, is stronger, faster, taller, bigger, then they're all on steroids. You're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying here. Okay, go ahead. What I'm what I'm saying is more the game has evolved that it's more up and down than what it used to be. Okay. We know more about the human body now than we did before. Okay. We could both agree to that, right? The brace that Larry Bird was wearing at the end of his career, he would not be wearing that back brace now. They would have probably figured out other ways to do it, whether it was through shoes and arch supports, whether it was through other these things. He would not have ended his career with a massive back brace on in 1993. Right? I, and I don't know right. if it was 93. I'm picking that out of the sky. His last game was at the, against the Cavs. Right. That's what I'm saying. We know more about it now than we did before in the same way that we know more about that threshold of injury than we did before. Maybe Larry Bird avoids that back injury because he wasn't playing at the same amount that he was then, therefore having a longer career. I don't know, man. You know, I just it, the part that bothers me is That's, that. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I get what okay. you're saying. I can understand that. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe not... there's you know, from a physical rehabilitation standpoint, injuries are dealt with in a lot different. I just remember LeBron when he first started playing. He he would kind of. I think he's talked about this before too. He would laugh at some of the older players that were icing their knees after every game. And then it didn't take him very long, though, to realize he should be icing his knees after every game. We glorify Michael Jordan for being the, I don't know if he was the first, but boy, it was the most well-known. We glorify him for hitting the gym and lifting weights. Like, that was a big part of the last dance that was in there was the year that Jordan decided I am no longer coming up short, and he hit the gym, and he started lifting weights, and he got out of program. We glorify him for that. Could you imagine saying that now? I just saw a clip from Kobe. The All-Star team was in, or the uh, Team USA was in Las Vegas, and it was after the first practice, and all the Carlos Boozer was in this. Mm -hmm. And LeBron was in it, too. Like, think of the evolution of health. That was 30 years ago. So, but listen, so they were, they all went out and they got home at like 5.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning in Vegas, and Kobe was waking up because those guys all wanted to go out. He's like, I'm not going out. So he was up at 5.30 in the morning. He was in the gym. He was pushing weights. He was shooting. He was doing everything he could. And all the other players were like, what? And then by a week into it, every player had started joining him at 5.30 in the morning because they wanted to work out. Because that's what work ethic is all about. Right. It's those stories that make you, that that take the alpha dog athlete and make them greater than just an alpha dog. I got more and on Maybe torts. that's why. So. I got more on torts later. All right, I want to hear that coming up. Here we go. Uh, Baskin and Phelps, Dan Manigan is in. You want to be in this conversation? 216-474-0092 or on social media at CLE Talking Heads. John Tortorella Torts, as you may have remembered him when he was coaching the Columbus Blue Jackets. He is now with uh, 
the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, tennis, I don't care, whatever, whatever sport you want to talk about. I think what he said holds true for everything. And uh, Dan and I were debating this. If you want to get on the debate, 216-474-0092. I do think that we have come to a time, though, that where... You know, it's just easy to sit here and say, and I, the Cavs are a prime example from last night. The excuse. Up, oh, back to back. Oh, they lost. Oh, that was a schedule loss. Oh, my favorite used to be, oh, the Cavs. Oh, they're playing in Miami last night. Come oh, on. they're done. That's why they lost. I mean, you know, they, they had a game and then they flew to Miami and it's like, hey, if you're in Miami, you got to go out and, you know, hang out for a while and then, you know, and then just plan on losing to Miami at home. Vegas, probably the same thing for a lot of teams. Oh, yeah. It's it's so interesting when you start hearing all that kind of stuff. Now, some of it, of course, is a coach that's saying it. I mean, coaches want all of their best players available at all times. But you're because coaches a pro want to win. athlete. Coaches want to win. That's that's every single level. Coaches want to win. That's what they're there to, there to do because if they don't win, they're no longer coaching. So I am with you. They are, a, they are a pro athlete. I think load management in the NBA has gotten out of control. I think it's nuts how much we load manage some of these guys. I think the entire Clippers organization is insane how much they load manage them. But I think there is a threshold. I think playing 82 games of a season in the NBA is a, is a serious accomplishment that should be applauded. But there's a reason why a lot of guys don't do it anymore. Like there has to be a reason. And it's just because I think some of it, load management is ridiculous. I think being cautious is a different thing. If a guy rolls an ankle, you probably should have him especially if you're in a good place when it comes to making the playoffs. Like, I can see why you don't want to exacerbate that. Now, the pitch clock thing is interesting. Or the the pitch count thing, part of it, is interesting. I, I First of all, I, I don't know if you realize this, but I think if a pitcher is hot and you've got a reliever that did a really good job in the eighth inning, I see no reason to take him out for the ninth. I don't. Especially if they're under, like... I don't know, 15, 20 pitches, whatever, 15 pitches. I don't think like, you're... I don't understand why you can't just stay with that guy. Even six inning. You know, the only way the starter gets to stay out there is if he's within 100. I mean, if a guy is hot, they can't hit him, and you've been through the order at least twice, and now he's mowing him down again the third time through? I don't, I don't know why we can't. We have to bring in that closer. Got to bring him in. Paying for the closer. Got to bring him in. I always find that very silly. I don't think you're nuts at all. Oh, wow. We're on the same page. I don't, I don't think you're nuts at all. I think, we are, I think we are far too cautious with pitchers. A part of me, there are some things that John Smoltz says that makes me roll my eyes. There are some things that John Smoltz says that I think he's on to something. Okay. Give me it. So John Smoltz, I think it was Smoltz, and we've heard it from Maddox, and I think Glavin has said it too. Guys who have a boatload of innings in their career at a very high level. Sure. Okay. They said that the biggest problem going on with pitchers today is they're not throwing enough. That during their day, they would throw basically every single day. Now you you throw your innings, you're shut down for the Monday. Tuesday you start to play long toss. Three you do a bullpen, or Wednesday you do a bullpen. Thursday you play a little bit of long toss to heal from the bullpen. Friday you throw again. Those guys were like, we threw every day. We kept having that muscle be stretched out. And they are wondering if some of the injuries are brought forth by the fact that that muscle is not being stretched out to the level it should. I am with you on relievers. Or I should say this. 
I am with you on third time through the order. I think we very much are like, up oh, third time, I got to pull him. I think right. that's a mistake because there are some guys who are built to go longer. There are, there are guys who, especially if you get three, four-plus pitches, go. Absolutely go. You know, the the Guardians are have been the opposite of this for a long time, that you're like third time through the order, and the guards are like, oh, let's see what he's got. Let's see if he can figure it out. Let's see with three-plus pitches. You see it a lot more with the Tampa Bay Rays. You see it a lot more with a lot of other guys where they're like, you've got two-plus pitches, and that's it. And it's like, Randy Johnson's don't grow on trees. <laughs> But I am with you. Yes. Yes. I Starters should go deeper in games. I so CC Sabathia pitched, what, 20 years in Major League Baseball. You know how many times he pitched over 200 innings? That how was many, his goal going how many, every year. How many seasons did you say he pitched again? 20. 20? 19 in the American League, one in the National Although. 15. And hang on, that National League year was only half a year, wasn't it? Well, was he probably Milwaukee. threw 200 innings. They probably had him throw 200 <laughs> innings in that half a season. Oh, you know what's hysterical? <laughs> So he made uh, what is he? It was eleven and two when he went to the Brewers. He threw. <laughs> he threw a hundred, a hundred and thirty innings is that year. He threw a hundred thirty innings when the uh, Indians traded him over to Milwaukee. And I, I'm trying to remember how many games total. I can't even find the games, the game number right here. It's so funny. Yeah, Milwaukee. He pitched. Uh, he had seven complete games. That was a high for him. He had six, but I just remember that I would sit down with CC in the beginning of the year every year and go, all right, what's your goal? And he would always say, 200 innings. That's what I want to do. Because he did that in his second year with the Indians. That's why. He went 210 innings his second year with the Indians, and he was only 21 years old. The last time he would throw for 200, he was... 32 years old, pitching for the Yankees in a year where he went 14-13 and 13 with a 4.78 ERA. I, do you remember when he lost all that weight? And he's like, I just can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. And he had to put the weight back on. Now he's lost the weight again. I just find it, I find it, uh, like his goal was 200 innings. And that's mm-hmm. what he always wanted to do. By the time he was on the back end of his career, he was at like 150 Although still, even at 35 years old, he pitched 179. It was one out away from 180 innings at 35 years old for the Yankees. They were getting every penny out of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So were the Brewers. I, well, what the Brewers did him should have been illegal. But I believe that part of it with pitch counts. I think pitch counts have very much gotten out of control. I think the whole idea of third time through the order, I know what the numbers look like. I'm aware of such things. I, that's one of those where we have really, really laxed on some things that we used to do. And I think the days of the 200-inning starter are dwindling by the hour. I mean, Blake Snell right now is having a hard time getting a, a, a job right now. And he's waiting, of course, for his giant payday and all that stuff. And that's that's playing into it with Scott Boris. But, like, a lot of teams, I think, are looking at Blake Snell and going, what, I get 150 innings out of you? 175 innings out of you? Is that what they should hope for now or no? What should you hope for? How many innings should you hope for out of That's a out of a pitcher? I mean, I think last year the average starter was, and, I, and I'm pulling out a number here, with these guys only going six now. You know, you're hoping to go six. Very few go seven. Even less go eight. 
Right. And complete games have turned into like you can count them on both hands and that's the end of it. I mean, it's it's becoming further and farther between that we are seeing this. I think you're seeing starters now and teams go, if I can get 125 innings out of you, that's a positive season. I mean, look at how the Dodgers built their pitching staff right now. Oh, that's true. That's a great point. I mean, their their whole pitching staff is built around the idea of, okay, if I can get 125 innings out of these seven guys, we're doing great. Like, that's nuts. It's nuts to think about. And that's where I think Tortorella is onto something. That's very much where I'm like, okay, so you I like think towards, the baby's you like too. his part about the baseball pitch counts more than you do the we're basically telling these athletes they're tired. Correct. Even though they're not. Correct. I think he's weaving two ideas that I've had, and I'm trying to split them up and go, okay, there are some parts of this where the analytics that are out there are truthful. And what we know about the body now is more than what we knew about it in the past. And if we can prevent another situation where you have a guy who has a knee injury that then turns into something bigger because he tries to push forward through it, I think that is for the better. And we know more about that now than we did in the past. And if we take a guy, and, and we use Larry Bird as we were using Bird as example. If you took some of the load off of Larry Bird earlier in his career, even though he would have fought you tooth and nail, and he, he probably would have, he would have killed Red Arbach for even thinking about it. But like, if he would have done that earlier in his career, I wonder if his career would have went longer. And if his peak would have been further than what it was. That's more what I'm saying than anything. Larry Bird had a pretty healthy career throughout. I mean, as far as years are concerned, right? I'm trying to remember how old he was when he retired. Was he? I don't. Let me look it up. Don't. I don't want to make a mistake. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. But that's the thing, and and everybody remembers the tail end of his career when he had that massive back brace on, and he was going right. back and forth down the floor, and his exercise program was running laps on the upper deck of the Boston Garden, and he'll tell you that, and you can read it in any Bird book that's out there. I wonder if he didn't play the amount of minutes that he did, if he would have taken those back to the decks off, if you'd have a longer career and if we would know more about that. And that's where I think Tortorella is off is I don't think it's as much as, okay, we built this up and you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. And now guys are wimps because they don't do that. Careers are longer now because of this. It's interesting to see that, you know, he played till he was 35. I thought he Mm -hmm. played till he was like 36, 37, but he played till he was 35. And the other part that like you don't, you have to wonder about, when you look at a guy like Bird, is he played four years of college. So he didn't get into the league until he was 23. Larry Bird didn't play his first NBA game until he was 23 years old. And then that's four years in college. That's nuts. The thing. He, I don't think he started as a starter either, as a freshman, because back in those days, you didn't do that. You're saying in, in college? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Probably. I don't know. I don't have the history of the I don't, I don't sycamores either. in front of me. But. We're, again, we're two guys shooting the breeze right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> we could be off on some of this. So I just I look at so, this and I, does that I think make sense? Torts, yeah I just I think Torts okay. is right. That, let me go back to the beginning of this whole thing. I, I just think there are sometimes we don't let common sense prevail, and especially in baseball when a pitcher's hot and no one can hit him. Now I, I, I'll agree with you on certain circumstances. Like, could you imagine going through a lineup for the fourth time? Although you probably wouldn't be if it was. But you know, like going back towards a third time and how antsy managers get when they see that, even though they could be throwing a, just a great game. Mm-hmm. But no, no, analytics tell me I got to get them out. I got to get them. that. 
That drives me insane. Yeah, he's hit that 100-pitch threshold. For, we got to get rid of him. Mean, let's be honest. Managers in Major League Baseball should know in their gut. I know you want to go with analytics, but you don't become a manager in Major League Baseball without having a gut. Mm-hmm. You don't. You've watched enough baseball. You've seen enough baseball. You know the tax that's on your pitcher who's making those pitches. If it's less taxing, if he's had a lot of traffic, if it's all that, if he's had a lot of traffic and those pitches are a little bit more max effort than where we were before, and I wonder if that's another side of these pitch counts too, is the amount of max effort we ask of these guys. I know we're picking up the ball a little differently than we do now out of the hand than we did over home plate back in the day, but it feels like guys are with a little more max effort now than they used to. Guys pace themselves more back in the day. So I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's do this. We'll come back. College football. Playoffs, another change? Yeah, it's possible. Basket and Phelps with Dan Menigan, 216-474-0092. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <laughs> 